Time Warner Audiobooks presents Rich Dads Retire Young, Retire Rich How to Get Rich Quickly and Stay Rich Forever Written by Robert T. Kiyosaki with Sharon L. Lecter, CPA and read by Jim Ward Hi, this is Robert Kiyosaki David and Goliath was one of my rich dad's favorite stories I suspect he may have seen himself as David a man who started with nothing yet rose to compete against the giants of business. Rich Dad said David could beat Goliath because David knew how to use the power of leverage. If you have listened to my previous programs on the power of cash flow, you will remember that Rich Dad said cash flow is the most important word in the world of money. He also said the second most important word is leverage. Leverage is the reason some people become rich and others do not. Because leverage is power, some use it, some abuse it, and others fear it. The reason less than 5% of all Americans are rich is because only 5% know how to use the power of leverage. One of the most recognized forms of leverage is borrowing money. Today, we are aware of the severe problem of people abusing this powerful form of leverage. Many people now fear this form of leverage, saying, Cut up your credit cards! Pay off your mortgage and get out of debt. My rich dad would chuckle and say, Cutting up your credit cards won't make you rich. Cutting up my credit cards only makes me miserable. Instead of teaching us to fear the power of debt leverage, rich dad taught his son Mike and me how to use debt leverage in our favor. He often said, There is good debt and bad debt. Good debt makes you rich and bad debt makes you poor. In this program, You will find out how my wife Kim and I retired young and retired rich because we're deeply in debt. Deeply in debt with good debt. Debt that made us rich and financially free. In other words, we used the power of leverage. We did not abuse the power, nor do we live in fear of its power. Instead, we respect the power of leverage and use it wisely and cautiously. During the hundreds of interviews I have given since the release of the first Rich Dad, Poor Dad book, and audio program, I have been asked, do you think everyone can be rich? My reply is yes. I believe everyone has the potential to be rich. This program will explain why I believe all of us already have the power and the potential to be very rich. It will also explain how my wife and I could retire young and retire rich, even though we started without any money. And it will also explain why some people are rich and why others are poor, even though we all have the power and the potential to be very rich and retire young. It's all a matter of leverage. Leverage and your financial freedom. Leverage is a very big word, encompassing and touching virtually everything in our lives. The leverage of the mind is the most powerful form of leverage in the world. Your mind has the power to make you rich or make you poor. Words are leverage. Rich Dad often said, your brain can be your most powerful asset, or it can be your most powerful liability. If you use the right words in your brain, you will become very rich. If you use the wrong words, your brain will make you poor. It does not take money to make money. Getting rich begins with your words, and words are free. In Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you may remember that Rich Dad forbade his son Mike and me from saying, I can't afford it. Rich Dad said, The primary difference between rich people and poor people is that poor people say, I can't afford it, more often than rich people. In this first section, 
you will find out why people who say investing is risky are some of the biggest losers in the investment markets. Again, it goes back to words. You will find out that what you think is real becomes your reality. So if you want to retire young and retire rich, you will need to change how you think and perceive your financial reality. Later on in the program, you'll learn about planning for your new financial reality of being rich. And lastly, you'll learn what actions you need to take in order to make that new financial reality happen so that you can retire young and retire rich. The Leverage of Your Plan In order for Kim and me to retire young, we had to have a plan. A plan that started with nothing because we had nothing. The plan had an end or an exit and also had a time limit. Our time limit was 10 years or less. It took us 9 years, retiring in 1994. I was 47 and Kim was 37. Although we started with nothing, we exited with approximately eighty-five dollars to $120,000 a year in income, depending upon the market, without working. Our income was coming solely from our investments. Even though it may not have been a lot of money, we were financially free because our expenses were less than $50,000 a year. So how did we do it? Well, we retired young in order to get rich. One of the advantages of retiring young is that we now had the free time to get rich. After retiring, our plan was to spend time investing and building businesses. Today, not only do we have substantial real estate holdings, we have built a publishing company, a mining company, a technology company, and an oil company. We also invest in the stock market. As Rich Dad often said, the problem with having a job is that it gets in the way of getting rich. Today, our income per year from our investments and businesses is in the millions and is climbing steadily, even after the stock market crashes. Everything is going according to plan. But most people have a plan to be poor. They say, when I retire, my income will go down. What they are saying is, I plan on working hard all my life, and then I will become poorer after I retire. That may have been an okay plan in the industrial age, but that is a very poor plan in the information age. Millions of workers are now counting on their retirement plans, plans such as a 401k, IRA, superannuation plans of Australia, RRSP plans of Canada, and other plans to be there when they retire. There is one tragic flaw in these information age retirement plans. The flaw is that most of these plans are indexed to the stock market, and as you may have noticed, stock markets go up and stock markets go down. It shocks me to realize that millions of hard-working people are now betting their financial future and their financial security on a stock market. What will happen to these workers if, for example, they are 85 years old and their retirement plan is wiped out, either by depletion, theft, or market crash? Are we going to say to them, get a job and begin saving for retirement? I believe we need to better educate and better prepare people for the information age, the age where we all need to know a lot more about money the age where we all need to be more financially responsible and depend less on a company or the government to take care of us when our working days are over. Just look at the numbers. By the year 2010, the first of 75 million baby boomers will begin to retire. Over the years, let's say that each of these 75 million begins to collect just $1,000 per month from the promised government retirement plan they have contributed to, and another $1,000 per month from the financial markets. If my math is correct, 75 million times 1,000 comes to $75 billion per month from the government program and another $75 billion from the financial markets. $75 billion per month coming out of the government and from the financial markets will have a dramatic impact on both institutions. Millions in America do not have a company retirement plan or personal retirement plan. What will they do? 
They are working hard today but have nothing set aside for tomorrow. For many baby boomers, time, our most important asset, is running out. If you want to retire young and retire rich, you need a better plan than these people do. In the real world, less than 5% of the U.S. population is rich because 95% of the population may want to be rich, but only 5% take any action. In my book and audio program, Rich Kid, Smart Kid, I talk about how our school system punishes kids for making mistakes. Yet if you look at how we learn, we learn from our mistakes. Most of us learn to ride a bicycle only by falling off a few times. We learn to walk by falling a few times. Then we get to school and we are taught not to fail. We are taught that people who fail are stupid people. I'm not saying that school is bad. In the information age, school and education are more important than ever before. I am saying that we need to overcome the fear of making mistakes, the fear of failing, and the fear of being embarrassed. If I had not learned this, I would not have been able to retire young and retire rich. As Rich Dad said to me years ago, getting rich begins with the right mindset, the right words, the right plan. After you have that, the action steps are easy. So why did David meet Goliath? Rich Dad's answer to this was, David met Goliath so he could meet the giant inside of himself. Without Goliath, David would never have become a giant of a man. Rich Dad used this story to inspire his son and me to become financial giants. In other words, instead of killing the giant, Rich Dad inspired us to become giants in our own way. This program is about becoming financially free. Kim and I achieved that freedom by acquiring or building assets, assets that worked hard so we did not have to work. Once we were free, we simply continued to build our portfolio of the three asset classes, business, paper assets, and real estate, into giant portfolios. We retired young and became richer and richer by using all the leverage we could to build these assets. Today, those assets produce more and more income while we work less and less. If you would like to do the same, this program is for you. It will assist you in finding your own financial freedom, freedom from the drudgery of earning a living. As I mentioned, the most powerful form of leverage is found in the power of our minds. If you want to retire young and retire rich, the first thing you must do is use the power of your brain to make you rich. When it comes to money, too many people use the power of their brain to make themselves poor. As Rich Dad said, one big difference between the rich and the poor is that poor people say, I can't afford it more often than rich people. He also said, in Sunday school I learned, and the word became flesh. Poor people use poor words, and poor words create poor people. Your words do become flesh. If you can change your words and your thoughts to those of the rich, retiring young and retiring rich will be easy. How to Become Rich and Retire Young Let me tell a story that will encourage any of you who may be doubtful or in need of some self-confidence to begin the journey to retiring young. When Kim and I started, we were nearly out of money, low on confidence, and filled with doubt. We all have doubts. The difference is what we do with those doubts. In December of 1984, Kim, my best friend Larry Clark, and I were skiing in Vancouver, British Columbia, on Whistler Mountain. At night, the three of us sat in a little cabin around the fire, discussing our plans for the future. We had very high hopes, but very little resources. Kim and I were on our last few dollars, and Larry was in the process of building another business. Our discussions ran late into the night, every night. We discussed books we'd recently read, as well as movies we had seen. We listened to educational audio tapes we had brought along, and then discussed the lessons on those tapes in depth. 
On New Year's Day, we did what we do every year. We set our goals for the coming year. But this year, our goal-setting session was different. Larry wanted to do more than just set goals for the coming year. He said, why don't we write a plan on how we can all become financially free? I listened to his words, but I could not fit what he said into my reality. I had talked about it, dreamed about it, and knew that someday I would do it. But the idea of being financially free was always an idea in the future, not today. We've talked about it many times, Larry said. I think it is time to stop talking, stop dreaming, and start committing. Let's write it down. Once we write it down, you know we have to do it. Once we write it down, we'll support each other on this journey. But we don't have much money, I said, looking over at Kim, whose face reflected my concerns. You know we're starting over again. How can we retire early if we don't have any money, I protested. I didn't say we were going to retire in a year, said Larry. All I am saying is, let's plan on retiring now. Let's write down the goal, create a plan, and then focus on the idea. As Larry spoke, I was reminded of my rich dad saying, The biggest challenge you have is to challenge your own self-doubt and your laziness. There is no one in your way except you and your doubts about you. If you will take on your self-doubt and your laziness, you will find the door to your freedom. Rich Dad had had this talk with me just before I left Hawaii to come on this trip. Now, just a month after my talk with Rich Dad, I find myself feeling weak, vulnerable, and insecure, listening to my best friend telling me the same things. I knew it was time to grow up or give up and go home. As I tuned back into Larry, I said, Okay, let's do it. Let's set the goal to be financially free. That was New Year's Day, 1985. In 1994, Kim and I were free. Larry went on to build his company, which became one of Inc. Magazine's fastest-growing companies of the year in 1996. Larry retired in 1998 at the age of 46 after selling his company. Whenever I tell this story, the question I'm asked is, how did you do it? I then say, it's not about how. It's about why Kim and I did it. Without the why, the how would have been impossible. All I will say is that from 1985 to 1994, Kim, Larry, and I focused on Rich Dad's three paths to great wealth, which are, first, increasing business skills, second, increasing money management skills, and finally, increasing investment skills. Rich Dad said, the reason most people do not do what they can do is because they do not have a strong enough why. Instead of looking inside themselves to find their own why they want to become rich, most people look for the easy road, and the problem with the easy road is that it usually ends in a dead end. Why I Decided to Retire Early That New Year's Eve, sitting around the fire with Kim and Larry, I got sick and tired of my old self and decided it was time for a big change. I was fed up with being broke and always struggling for money. I was also tired of being average. All throughout school, teachers said, Robert is a bright boy, but he just does not apply himself. That night, sitting on the mountain, I got sick and tired of being average. It was time for me to stop being average. When I was eight years old, I came home and found my mom crying at the kitchen table. She was crying because we were buried under a mountain of bills. My dad was doing the best he could to earn more money, but as a school teacher, he wasn't doing so well financially. All he would say was, don't worry, I'll handle it. But he didn't. I remember deciding at the age of eight to find the answers that could help my mom. That night, sitting on the mountain, I realized that I had found the answers I had searched for since the age of eight. It was now time to take those answers and turn them into reality. But the most painful why of all was the reality that I now had a beautiful young woman in my life, Kim. I had met my soulmate, 
and she was in this financial mess because she loved me. That night on the mountain, I realized that I was doing to Kim what my dad had done to my mom. At that moment, I found my real why. I found out as my rich dad did that I cannot tell anyone how to get rich. Find your why, and then you will find your how. As the old saying goes, where there is a will, there is a way. For me, I would say finding my will made finding my way possible. I learned years ago that passion is a combination of love and hate. Unless someone has a passion for something, it is difficult to accomplish anything. Rich Dad used to say, If you want something, be passionate. Passion gives energy to your life. If you want something you do not have, find out why you love what you want and why you hate not having what you want. When you combine those two thoughts, you will find the energy to get off your seat and go get anything you want. So you may want to start with a list comparing loves and hates. For example, I love being rich, being free, buying anything I want. And I hate being poor, being required to work, not having what I want, or always settling for cheap things. Then write down your whys. Write down your dreams, goals, and plans on becoming financially free and retiring as young as possible. Take a look at this paper on a regular basis. Talk about it often. Ask for support. Be willing to continually learn. And before you know it, things will begin to happen. Poor Dad's Lessons My poor dad often advised, Go to school. Get good grades. Find a safe, secure job. Work hard and save money. He would also quote other famous lines, such as, Neither a borrower nor a lender be, and a penny saved is a penny earned, or if you can't afford something, don't buy it. Always pay cash. My poor dad's life would have been pretty good if he'd followed his own advice. But like many people, he said what he thought were the right words, but he did not do the right things. Instead, he borrowed money to buy his house and his cars. He never invested, because he always said investing is risky. Instead, he tried to save money. But each time there was an emergency, he would take the money out of his savings. He borrowed money for things that made him poor, and he refused to borrow money for things that might have made him rich. He was a good man who spent his life working hard, trying to avoid debt, and trying to save money. And those were the lessons about life and money that he tried to pass on to me. Rich Dad's Lessons My rich dad, the man who was my best friend's father, offered different advice and different ways of thinking about money. He would pose various questions, such as, How long would it take you to save $1 million? Then, How long would it take you to borrow $1 million? Or he would ask, Who is going to get richer in the long run? People who work all their lives trying to save $1 million? Or people who know how to borrow $1 million at 10% interest, and who also know how to invest it and receive a 25% per year return on that borrowed $1 million? He would also want to know, To whom would a banker rather lend money? Someone who works hard for money, or someone who knows how to borrow money and have that money safely and intelligently work hard for them? Or, who would you have to be and what would you have to know in order to call your banker and say, I want to borrow a million dollars, then have the banker say, I will have the papers ready for you to sign in 20 minutes? Rich Dad would also pose such questions as, why does the government tax your savings but give you a tax break for being in debt? And, if you had a choice of education... Would you choose to go to school to learn how to work hard for money? Or would you rather go to school to learn how to have money work hard for you? And finally, he might ask, Why do the people who work the hardest and save the most pay more in taxes than people who work less and borrow more? When it came to work, money, savings, and debt, 
it is obvious that my two dads had completely different points of view. But the biggest difference in points of view was this statement by my rich dad. The poor and middle class have a hard time getting rich because they try to use their own money to get rich. If you want to get rich, you need to know how to use other people's money, not your own. Let me pause for a moment to offer you a word of caution and a warning. This program is not about borrowing money and getting deeply into debt, although I discuss the use of debt as a tool for retiring early and retiring rich. As I stated, leverage is power, and power can be used, abused, or feared. We should treat debt as we would a loaded gun, very carefully. Debt, like a loaded gun, can help you and it can kill you, regardless of who's handling it. Treat all debt as dangerous, just as you should consider all guns dangerous. Instead, let me remind you that this program is about leverage. Rich Dad would repeatedly say to his son and me, Financial leverage is the advantage the rich have over the poor and the middle class. Financial leverage is how the rich get richer quicker. The problem with leverage, however, is that leverage is like a two-edged sword, which can cut in either direction. In other words, a person can use leverage to get ahead financially, and that same form of leverage, if misused, can be used to have them fall behind financially. One of the main reasons the middle class and the poor work harder, work years longer, struggle to pay off debt, and pay more in taxes is because they lack a very important form of leverage, and that is the leverage of financial education. So before you run out and borrow money to invest in assets, please know that debt is only one form of leverage and that all forms of leverage have a sharp edge on two sides. Regardless what form of leverage you use, I first recommend that you educate yourself on how to use whatever form of leverage interests you. Rich Dad said, If you want to be rich, you need to know the differences between good debt and bad debt, good expenses and bad expenses, good income and bad income, and good liabilities and bad liabilities. If you are not familiar with the distinctions between these concepts, simply put, good debt is debt that puts money in your pocket every month, and bad debt is debt that takes money from your pocket every month. For example, the debt in my apartment houses puts money in my pocket every month, and the debt in my residence, my mortgage, takes money from my pocket every month. If you work on increasing good debt, your chances of retiring young and retiring rich are greatly improved, but always remember to treat all debt very carefully. So how can you retire early? In the broad definition of the word, leverage simply means the ability to do more with less. When it came to the subjects of work, money, and leverage, Rich Dad would say, if you want to become rich, you need to work less and earn more. In order to do that, you employ some form of leverage. The good news is that more and more tools of leverage are being created today, tools such as computers, the Internet, books, audio programs, and more to come. But to get ahead in the financial world today, you may have to do away with obsolete leverage. People who use obsolete, out-of-date, or inadequate tools of financial leverage put their financial security and their financial future at risk. Today, millions of people are utilizing the financial tool known as the mutual fund to prepare for their retirement. While mutual funds are by no means obsolete, they are not the leveraged financial tools of choice of the more educated investor. If people want to retire young and retire rich, they may need to supplement their mutual funds with faster, safer, and more information-rich tools of financial leverage. It is ironic that the poor and the middle class think of the financial tools of leverage as too risky. Rather than utilize the financial leverage the rich use, the poor and middle class tend to use physical leverage to try and get ahead. 
Physical leverage is also known as hard work. The rich get richer primarily because they use the financial tools of leverage, and the poor and middle class do not. At least not in the same way the rich use those same tools. Debt can be winner's leverage. It can also be loser's leverage. In my other programs and books, I talked about the use of debt to acquire income-producing real estate. In these examples, debt was my leverage. I can acquire much larger investments and get ahead faster than someone who simply works hard and tries to invest with their savings, otherwise known as equity. A person who knows how to use debt to acquire assets has superior financial leverage over someone who does not understand how to harness the power of debt. My rich dad said, The rich use debt to win financially, and the poor and middle class use debt to lose financially. But in order to use debt as a tool of leverage, a person needs to have more financial education. In the following sections of this program, I will offer ways to increase your financial education. But first, let me address some other forms of leverage. In addition to debt, there are other forms of leverage that Kim and I use to retire early on. I could not have acquired so many assets in such a short period of time if I had not used two different forms of financial leverage. OPM, other people's money, and OPT, other people's time. In addition, there are other important forms of leverage that you may not have even thought about that will influence your ability to gain your financial freedom. Your health, your time, your education, and your relationships can all assist you or hinder you in your goal to retire young and retire rich. Obviously, health is a very important form of leverage. All too often, people do not appreciate the value of their health until they begin to lose it. What benefit will early retirement serve you if you were too ill to enjoy it? Time is also an important leverage. Once people begin to fall behind financially, it is often difficult to find the time to get ahead in life. I often hear people say, he got lucky because he was in the right place at the right time. I think a more accurate statement is, he got lucky because he was educated, experienced, and prepared to take advantage of the opportunity when the opportunity presented itself. Education is an important form of leverage. The difference in earnings between someone who drops out of high school and a person who graduates from college can be measured in the millions of dollars when measured over a lifetime. Yet a person who graduates from college but has little financial education will often fall far behind a person who is financially educated, with or without a college education. Importantly, leverage can also be found in your business and personal relationships. The following are examples of the leverage found in relationships. First, I have seen many people suffer because they work for a business that is run by incompetent owners or management. I have also seen people do very well financially because they associate with financially knowledgeable people. It is important to learn from both. Second, a labor union, such as the teacher's union or pilot's union, is a form of relationship leverage. A professional organization such as the American Medical Association can be a form of relationship leverage. Unions and professional associations are people with professional leverage that often bind together to protect themselves from people with strong financial leverage. And third, many people do well financially because they have excellent financial advisors. There are also many people who suffer financially because they have incompetent financial advisors. So the people around you can be a great source of leverage, positive and negative, Rich Dad used to say, Being rich is not so much what you know, but who you know. Take a minute to think about your relationships. Are they helping you gain your financial freedom? Finally, leverage can be found in your spare time. Many of the people I have met or read about became rich in their spare time rather than on the job. Hewlett Packard and Ford Motor Company were started in garages, 
and Dell Computers was started in a college dorm room. A friend of mine was a lawyer by weekday and real estate investor on the weekends. Today he's financially secure and donates his legal services for free to charitable organizations and plays with his kids or plays golf full-time. He just turned 39. So I want to emphasize that there are many forms of leverage that you can use today to acquire and create assets to allow you to get ahead faster. If you want to retire young and retire rich, you need to find the leverage that works best for you. The Importance of the Word AND One definition of leverage is the ability to do more with less. Rich Dad added to that definition by saying, Leverage is the ability to do more and more with less and less. Rich Dad explained further by saying, The rich keep adding more and more leverage, which is why they get richer and richer. The poor and middle class stop adding more leverage. The point at which you stop adding more leverage defines your financial station in life. For many people in the middle class, their academic and professional education is where their education stopped. The rich do not stop there. They add more leverage by adding financial education to their list of more and more leverage. The people falling behind today include those who have gained some form of leverage but are failing to gain more. As Rich Dad used to say, a college degree does not entitle you to stop learning or to stop increasing your leverage. Neither does a million dollars in the bank entitle you to stop learning. In fact, if you stop learning, your money will soon go to someone who has continued to keep learning. Your money will go to the person who realizes that true leverage is the ability to constantly do more and more with less and less. As long as you are willing to think in terms of doing more and more with less and less, the more and more you will earn with less and less work. All you have to do is keep this idea in your head, and it will be easier for you to retire young and retire rich. Here's a suggestion. Get a clean sheet of paper and begin to write your answers to this question. How can I do what I do for more people with less work and for a better price? Rich Dad called this the million-dollar question. It demands that you be creative not only about your finances, but also about the resources that you have available to you. It's an important question, so take the time to list all the possibilities. The Reality of Leverage Over the years, Rich Dad taught me many important lessons that radically affected the direction and outcome of my life. The lesson on the power of a person's reality is one of the most important. Rich Dad said, What you think is real is your reality. Being a religious man, Rich Dad often quoted the passage from the Old Testament, and the word becomes flesh. He constantly said to his son Mike and me, Whatever you think and say is real becomes your reality. He worked hard at taking what was outside his reality and making it a part of his reality. It was not money that made my dad richer. It was his ability to expand his reality that ultimately made him richer and richer. Is investing risky? People often say, investing is risky. To them, that idea is real, and because they think it is real, it becomes their reality, even though investing does not have to be risky. While there is always risk, just as there is risk in crossing a street or riding a bicycle, the acts themselves do not have to be risky. So many people think investing is risky because they think their ideas are real. A few months ago, a noted investment advisor from a famous bank and I were being interviewed on a radio program. The noted advisor started out, Robert Kiyosaki states that people should start their own businesses if they want to be rich. What Mr. Kiyosaki fails to realize is that most people cannot start their own businesses. Starting a business is far too risky. Statistics show that 9 out of 10 businesses fail in their first 5 years. I've seen and heard those same statistics quoted before, I said, and from my experience, I would say those statistics are accurate.
So how can you recommend people start their own businesses? Asked the noted advisor. First of all, I replied, I do not recommend people start their own businesses. I state that everyone should mind their own business. When I say mind their own business, I mean they should mind their investment portfolio. That does not necessarily mean start their own business. Although a well-run business is often the asset that makes the rich very rich. So what about the risk? Asked the financial advisor. First of all, while nine out of ten do not make it, one out of the ten does. Once I realized the odds, I knew that I needed to be prepared to lose at least nine times. In fact, I have been that nine out of ten that did not survive twice. But then I made it on my third try. So how did you feel when you failed? Asked the investment advisor. Was it worth it? I felt terrible the first time I failed. I felt even worse the second time. But yes, to me it was worth it. If I had not failed twice, I would not have retired eighteen years early, nor would I be financially free today. I replied. It took me a while to recover each time. Yet, even though I felt bad, I was mentally prepared to keep going ten times, even twenty times, if I had to. I did not want to fail that many times, but I was willing. It sounds too risky for me, and it is too risky for most people," said the advisor. "I agree," I replied. "It is especially risky if you are not willing to fail or fail only once before you quit. It is even worse if you think that failing is bad. I was taught by my rich dad to understand that failing is part of winning. Even though I realize I was successful in the past, I still realize that the odds remain the same. Every time I start a business, I continue to be aware that nine out of ten do fail. Why do you say that?" asked the commentator. Because I always need to remain humble and respect the odds. I have seen too many people build a business, make a lot of money, get cocky, and start another business, thinking the odds are now in their favor. While their odds may have improved a little because of their past experience and success, we all need to be humble enough to know that the odds remain nine out of ten for all startup businesses. I still think it is too risky," said the advisor. "Most people are not prepared to run their own business. There is some truth in that statement, also," I replied. Yet I will remind you that less than 100 years ago, most people were small, independent business people. People were strong enough to run their own businesses in spite of the risks. It was only until people like Henry Ford began building mega businesses that more and more people became employees. In fact, small businesses are responsible for almost all of the job growth and a large portion of all taxes collected. So, in spite of the risks, more and more people continue to start their own businesses. Free enterprise gives us all the opportunity to take risks and grow. If these individuals did not take risks, our nation would not be as prosperous as it is today. People who take risks increase prosperity. The risk-reward ratios are in your favor. Years ago, Rich Dad explained to his son Mike and me the importance of knowing that having a winning strategy sometimes meant losing. Rich Dad was aware of the nine out of ten failure rate of most startup businesses. He was also aware that the reward for making it only one out of ten times far outweighed the risk of losing nine out of ten times. Rich Dad explained, "Most people think only in the realm of what is smart and what is risky. Financially intelligent people think in terms of risk and reward. In other words, financially intelligent people weigh the risks and they weigh the rewards. If the rewards are great enough, they will come up with a strategy or a plan that will increase their chances of success regardless of how many times they lose before they will win." A winner's strategy. For example, I have a friend who uses his own simple risk-reward strategy for day trading the stock market. He knows that chances are he will find a market move on one out of twenty trades. That is why he sets up what he calls a money management strategy. If he has twenty thousand dollars to play the market with, which is one tenth of the two hundred thousand in total cash he has, he will only risk one thousand dollars per trade. In other words, 
His strategy is to always have enough money to lose 19 out of 20 times. I have seen him lose $14,000 on 14 straight trades and then suddenly make $50,000 on the next market move. His winning strategy took in the probability of losing 19 out of 20 times, although he's never lost that many times in a row. Yet, each time he wins, he immediately goes back to the same odds, which are 1 out of 20. He knows the odds do not change regardless of how much money he has. He still plans on losing 19 out of 20 times. A Loser's Strategy The average person who avoids losing and expects to win 100% of the time is the person who often has the loser strategy. Expecting to win 100% of the time and never failing is a loser's reality. As Rich Dad said, a winning strategy must include losing. Most people today have a retirement plan that does not include the possibility of losing. Most people today simply expect the stock market to always go up and that when they retire, their nest egg will last them as long as they live. That is a plan that has no room for losing, and that is why it is a loser's plan. Winners know that losing should be part of any plan. It's all about how winning and losing is perceived. Remember, our attitudes become our realities. In order to retire young and retire rich, one of the most important things you can learn to do is to take control of your own reality. If you can learn to do that, making more and more money with less and less effort will become easier and easier. If you cannot control and change your reality, then getting richer and richer may take longer than you like. It was my rich dad's ability to continually change his reality that ultimately made him rich. If you truly want to retire young and retire rich, the place to start is with your own realities. What do you think is risky? Having two strong men as father figures gave me the opportunity to be aware of different realities. Although at times confusing or even contradictory, having to listen to two different realities was beneficial to me in the long term. I realized that both men thought they were right and occasionally thought the other was wrong. While my two dads were making their big career moves, I was in college at the Military Academy in New York. When I returned home for Christmas break, Mike and I were in Rich Dad's office discussing what we had learned at school and the new people we had met. Having met young men from all over the country, I made this comment to Mike and Rich Dad. I have noticed how differently people think about money. I have met kids from very wealthy families and kids from very poor families. Even though most of the kids at school are academically bright, the poor and middle class do seem to think differently from the kids that come from rich families. Rich Dad's response to my last statement was swift. They don't think differently, he said. They think exactly the opposite. The middle class thinks that job security, a big house, and saving money are smart, and they believe the rich are greedy, while the rich think that building a business, owning apartment houses, and investing money is smart, and they believe the rich are generous. Your reality is defined by what you think is smart and what you think is risky. You mean you don't think building a business is risky? I asked. No. Learning to build a business is like learning anything else. I think clinging to job security all your life is a lot riskier than taking the risk to learn to build a business. One risk is short-term, and one risk is long-term. If you work for job security, you will work hard for most of your life. If you work to build a business, you may work harder at the start, but you will work less and less in the end, and you'll probably make 10 to 100 to 1,000 times more money. So which one is smarter? And what about investing, I asked. My mom and dad have always said that investing is risky, and they think that saving money is smart. Don't you do things differently when you invest? Rich Dad chuckled. Saving money and investing money require exactly the same activities, said Rich Dad. You will do the same things, even though your thinking is exactly the opposite. The same, I asked, but isn't one riskier? 
No, said Rich Dad. Tell me, what do your parents do to save money? They look for sales and clip coupons and food items, and they drive to the different markets and buy the items advertised on sale. They spend a lot of time shopping to save money. I do exactly the same things your parents do, but I shop for investments that are on sale to fill my portfolio. And my parents shop to fill their freezer, I said. You do the same thing, but my parents get poorer and you get richer. You're getting it, said Rich Dad. It is their reality, their thinking that causes them to be poor or middle class, not their activities. It is what we think is smart and what we think is risky that determines our socioeconomic standing in life, I said. Yes, we do the same things but operate from a different mindset, Rich Dad said. That is why you have always said, what you think is real is your reality, I added softly. That is correct, Rich Dad said. But what about the rich are greedy and the rich are generous, I asked. First of all, you do not have to be rich or poor to be greedy or generous. The world is filled with poor people who are greedy, just as there are poor people who are generous, and vice versa, said Rich Dad. Do you remember me telling you boys about doing more and more with less and less, Rich Dad asked. We both nodded to his question. Well, doing more and more with less and less is one form of being generous. In fact, the easiest way to become rich is by being generous, said Rich Dad. You mean to become rich by serving more people, said Mike. That is correct, Rich Dad said. Any time I want to earn more money, all I have to do is ask myself how I can serve more people. Mike then turned to me and said, My dad has never said this in front of you, but I think you are ready to hear his next lesson. Your dad has always told you that the rich are greedy, isn't that true? I nodded, saying, in so many words, The reason he says that is because he thinks the rich should pay people more and more the longer they work at a job. He calls it seniority or tenure. Is that correct? I nodded. But can you understand that for the most part, the person is often only doing the same amount of work or doing the same job? Asked Mike softly. I understand that, I replied. But my dad does not see it that way. He truly believes in pay raises based on loyalty and longevity. So your dad thinks the rich are greedy because they will not pay for loyalty and longevity. Isn't that true? He does, I replied. Can you see how wanting more money for doing the same amount of work can be greedy? Asked Mike. Or wanting to be paid overtime? Or wanting to be paid extra if the job the person does is outside his job description? But that is how people in my dad's world earn their money, I said. It is their reality. That is the word, said Rich Dad. The word is reality. We come from different realities. In my world, to ask for more money to do the same job is greedy. In my world, if I want more money, I first need to do more and more for less and less money, for more and more people. Then I become rich. That is why your dad has a bigger house than my dad, said Mike. My dad has spent years buying and building apartment houses so he could serve more families with more and more affordable housing. If not for people like my dad, many lower-income families would be paying more and more rent because there are so few apartments available. Your dad worked hard to buy bigger and bigger houses for himself and his family. He provides houses for no one else, and yet he thinks that the rich are greedy. It is your dad's reality, but it is not my dad's reality. Mike and his dad were doing their best to point out the differences in the words greedy and generous to me. At the age of 20, I was beginning to make a shift in my reality. I knew that I could choose the reality I wanted, and the reality I was choosing was the reality of my rich dad. And that reality was that many of the rich were generous. I knew that from here on in, if I wanted to become richer, I first needed to find out how to be more generous. How to Work Less and Earn More if you want to get rich, Rich Dad said, don't ask for a raise. Instead, 
begin to ask how you can serve more people. In fact, if you get a raise, you are working for the wrong kind of money. Most people are not aware that there is good income and bad income. When you ask for a raise, you ask for an increase in bad income. If you want to retire rich and retire young, you need to work hard for the right kind of income. In earlier programs, I discussed the three different types of income, which are, first, earned income, income that comes in the form of a paycheck. It is also the type of income you ask for more of when you ask for a raise, bonus, overtime, commissions, and tips. Second, portfolio income is generally income from paper assets such as stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. A vast majority of all retirement accounts are counting on portfolio income in the future. And third, passive income is generally income from real estate. It can also be royalty income from patents or for use of your intellectual property such as songs, books, or other objects of intellectual value. In Rich Dad's mind, the worst kind of income to work hard for was earned income for four main reasons. One, it is the highest taxed income and it is the income with the fewest controls over how much you pay in taxes and when you pay your taxes. Two, you personally have to work for it and it takes up your valuable time. Three, there is very little leverage in earned income. The primary way most people increase their earned income is by working harder. 4. There is often no residual value for your work. In other words, you work, get paid, and then have to work again to be paid again. Again, to Rich Dad, there is very little leverage in working for earned income. Why Rich Dad Liked Passive Income Although he did receive all three types of income, if given the choice between the three, he would take passive income all the time. Why? Because it was the income he had to work the least for, it is often the least taxed, and it earned him some of the highest returns consistently over a long period of time. In other words, he worked hard for passive income because in the long run, he worked less and less, served more and more people, and earned more and more the older he got. Kim and I were able to retire early because our plan had us working hard for passive income, not earned income. Another difference is that we planned on retiring with more passive income and not portfolio income. While most people retire on portfolio income, it is not always the best because it is the second highest taxed of the three incomes, and taxes are your largest single lifetime expense. My rich dad had all three types of income. The reason he had all three was because each type of income had different advantages and disadvantages. Let me explain. 50% money. Rich Dad often called earned income, the income you receive from a paycheck, 50% money. The reason he called it 50% money was because no matter how much money you earned, the government always took at least 50% of it or more in one way or another. If you make $50,000 a year today, then at least $25,000 may go to the government, most of it before you even get your hands on it, through withholding. Even after you receive that remaining $25,000, the taxing continues on. As most people know, you are taxed when you earn, spend, save, invest, and when you die. From Rich Dad's point of view, it was not very smart to work hard and have the government take at least 50% of what you worked hard for. 20% money. Most people today are attempting to retire utilizing what my Rich Dad called 20% money, which is money from capital gains or appreciation of stocks and sometimes real estate. 0% money. One of the reasons Kim and I retired early was because we utilized tax-deferred money, what my rich dad called 0% money. Tax-deferred money is money from capital gains that is not immediately taxed. It is deferred for as long as we choose to defer paying those taxes. For example, 
We put down $5,000 and purchased a house for $50,000. Two years later, we sold it for $100,000. We had a capital gains consequence of $50,000, but we chose not to pay the 20% in capital gains, which would have been approximately $10,000. Instead of paying the capital gains tax, as you would if you had made the same amount from a stock or mutual fund, we deferred our gains and rolled $55,000, which was $50,000 in gains plus our original $5,000 down payment, into our next investment. In other words, we had a 1,000% return in two years and paid no immediate taxes. We legally deferred our taxes and used what was technically the government's money as a down payment on a larger apartment house for $330,000. We then used the bank's money and some of the seller's equity to help us finance the remaining $275,000 we did not have. Not only did we use OPM, other people's money, we used government money to help us retire rich and retire early. Between 1988 and 1994, we utilized this investment and tax strategy many times. The reason the government allows these tax incentives is to keep the real estate industry vibrant and help the nation's economy stay strong, since real estate makes up a large sector of the U.S. economy. Tax-free money There are many ways to earn tax-free money. One way is to invest in tax-free municipal bonds. An example would be a person who puts $1,000 in a tax-free bond at a 5% interest rate. That means that each year this person will receive $50 tax-free. While it may not sound exciting, there are many times when such a return is desirable. Tax-free money from 0% money Another way of deferring taxes is by taking the depreciation from the improvements on your property. For example, let's say I buy a $100,000 rental property. The land is valued at $20,000, and the building is valued at $80,000. The government allows me to depreciate the building and not pay taxes on the amount of that depreciation. Let's say the government allows me to take a 20-year depreciation schedule on the $80,000 improvement. In many ways, that offsets $4,000 of extra income I do not have to pay taxes on in that year. When your portfolio is in the millions of dollars, that amount in just depreciation, when combined with other losses that are not really losses, can be significant. One method the rich use to legally receive tax-free money is to simply keep deferring their real estate capital gains and then at the end of their lives roll that real estate into something like a charitable remainder trust. The moment they do that, they may never have to pay tax on all the capital gains or depreciation they deferred and used for much of their lives. Competent Advice When making any financial decisions involving these issues, my best advice is to seek competent advice. I am not a tax attorney, a tax accountant, or an estate attorney. These are highly specialized and complex areas of law that require the best advice you can find, especially if you are rich or plan on becoming rich. As Rich Dad often said, the most expensive advice you can receive is free advice. It is advice from your friends and relatives who are not rich and have no plans on becoming rich. But remember, not only can you receive bad advice from friends and family, you can also receive bad advice from so-called professional financial advisors bookkeepers, accountants, and attorneys. So choose your team wisely. The best loophole of all. The best way to earn more and work less is via owning your own business. It continues to be the best loophole in the world. An employee today pays for many of life's finer things with after-tax dollars. For example, most employees have to pay for their car with after-tax dollars. A business owner is allowed to pay for his or her car with before-tax dollars if it is used for business and meets certain requirements. When you are working for 50% money, your car can be far more expensive than your boss's car, even though your car costs less. 
Even such things as football tickets, trips, or dinners, daycare for your kids, and other benefits can often be purchased with before-tax dollars if they qualify as legitimate business expenses and they may be subject to limitations. A word of warning. This program is only to make you aware of some of the differences in income. I caution you because it is legal to reduce taxes as long as you use these tax strategies in the pursuit of making more money. If you utilize these same strategies only to minimize taxes, then you are technically breaking the law. This is a very important point and is why I recommend you seek the best tax advice possible. As you look the numbers through, you might find that the price of job security is very expensive. Even if you have a steady job in a 401k, you might be losing out. The Problem with a 401k Although I recommend that everyone have and maximize contributions to a 401k if they qualify for one, there is one major flaw I see in it. The flaw is that although you save your money in it, and it hopefully grows free of the 20% capital gains tax, when you withdraw it at retirement time, you are taxed at the 50% tax rate of earned income. Even though you believe you are investing in portfolio or 20% money, when you cash in, you are still taxed at earned income rates. The second problem with a 401k is that it only works for people who are planning on being poor. If your income remains high after you retire, you continue to pay higher taxes on your retirement money because your income went up, not down. Similarly, the problem with Social Security is that it only works for people who want to be poor. If after you retire and you find that Social Security is not enough for you to live on and you go to work for earned income, the government will begin reducing your Social Security payments. In other words, the only way to receive a full payment is to choose to be poor in most cases. So what if you simply save your money? For people who believe in keeping all their money in the bank, thinking that saving is smart, their money is working for 50% money. I too have money in the bank, but I do not think that saving is smart as many people do. I have money in savings as part of my financial plan to be safe and secure, not as part of my plan to be rich. This is true even though I do not think it is smart to have my money working for 50% money as well as losing ground to inflation. Remember that different investment vehicles have different purposes and each assist you in reaching different levels of financial planning, depending on what you want. To be safe and secure, to be comfortable, or to be really rich. 401k plans and savings are integral parts of my plan to be safe and secure as well as comfortable, but they are not part of my plan to be rich. How You Can Earn More Tax-Advantaged Income By simply starting a small home-based business, buying a franchise, or joining a network marketing company, you are moving into a more tax-advantaged income. If you can reduce the cost of some of your expenses just by utilizing tax-advantaged dollars, you are getting ahead financially. The reason Kim and I retired early was because we worked hard to build businesses and buy real estate. That plan allowed us to work less and less and earn more and more. We did not work for money. We worked hard to build, buy, or create assets, as my rich dad had advised. To us, working at a job was not smart, and in the long run, it was much more risky. Here's a suggestion. List how much you currently earn a month from earned income, passive income, and portfolio income. If you want to retire, you will need passive and portfolio income in most cases. The sooner you learn to acquire passive and portfolio income, the sooner you are on your way to retiring rich and retiring young. Not only will you be able to retire earlier, 
you may also feel more financially secure and smarter, since you will be earning 20% or even tax-deferred income rather than 50% income, which is the type of income most people are working so hard for. The Fastest Way to Get Rich Quick Rich Dad would say, There is plenty of money in the world. If you want to be rich, you need to first expand your reality, your context, in order to get hold of your share of that abundance. If you want to be rich, you need to have an open mind, a flexible reality, and the skills to turn new ideas into real and profitable ventures. But you need a plan, and fast. In a recent interview, Robert Reich, former Labor Secretary under the Clinton administration, noted, The widening gap between the rich and the poor is setting us up for serious trouble. And he continued to say that, in the new economy, with unpredictable earnings, two tracks are emerging, the fast track and the slow track, and the absence of gradations between. The question is, are you and your plan on the fast track or the slow track? How do you create a fast plan? One of Rich Dad's basic tenets on money is, money is an idea. Adding on to this, Rich Dad also said, there are fast ideas and slow ideas, just as there are fast trains and slow trains. When it comes to money, most people are on the slow train, looking out the windows watching the fast train pass them by. If you want to become rich quickly, your plan must include fast ideas. The following are some ideas on how to begin to build and develop a faster plan. Choose your exit strategy first. I am often asked, how do I begin investing? Or what should I invest in? My response to their question is another question. What is your exit strategy? And sometimes my second question is, how old do you want to be when you exit? In other words, before you get into investing, you need to first know how, when, where, and with how much you want to exit. This is an important investment fundamental. How much will you have when you stop working? Using the benchmark of age 65 as when most people plan on retiring or exiting, the question is, how much income do you want when your working days are over? A number of years ago, the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare tracked people from age 20 to 65 and found that by age 65, for every 100 people, 36 were dead, 54 were living on government or family support, 5 were still working because they must, 4 were well off, and 1 was wealthy. Looking at these statistics, the unfortunate reality is that only 1 out of 100 Americans will reach the affluent level. $100,000 to $1 million per year, or higher, when they exit the workforce. One reason for this is a slow financial plan without a clearly defined exit strategy. When I am asked, can I get to the affluent level on the slow train? My answer is, yes. You can get there with a safe, secure, high-paying job, but you must begin investing young, live frugally, invest a large portion of your income, hope that the market does not crash, and be willing to retire after age 55. There is a price for using this plan of job security and frugality to reach the affluent level. The price is that it is often difficult to move on to the rich, $1 million to $12 million per year, and ultra-rich level, $1 million a month or more, using such a conservative plan. Take the fast train. If you are starting life with very little, as I did, and want to retire young and retire rich at the rich or ultra-rich levels, you will most likely need to forsake job security and take the fast train. In order to take the fast train, a person will need an open mind, high-speed ideas, better business and investment education, and a faster plan. These people will need to operate from a different mental context and content than that of the masses. 
People who use the job security and long-term investment plan to reach the affluent level often arrive without the content, context, and capacity to handle the rigors of the rich and ultra-rich levels. As my rich dad said, there is more to being rich than having a lot of money. My wife Kim and I decided to exit the rat race of life at the affluent level. That was our goal. Once we decided on our goal, in 1985, we worked backwards and developed our exit strategy, our investment plan, and then, and only then, did we determine our entry strategy. Once we had our exit strategy, we knew what to do and where to begin. For us, it was to ride on the fast train to build a business and invest in real estate. The hard work, lack of job security, and following the rigid schedule riding the fast train paid off. It took nine years from the time the plan was created until we achieved our goal. Because our investments brought us more than $100,000 in passive income per year, we were able to move on to the rich level simply because we had time, money, and the basic qualifications to move on to the next levels. We went from the affluent level to the rich level in five years. Next up is the ultra-rich level of residual income. If things go as planned, that should take three years. In theory, our basic plan through all levels was simple. It was to build businesses and invest in real estate. Today, we continue to build businesses and invest in real estate. While the plan has remained simple, what has increased is our education and experience. It is this education and experience that allows us to increase the speeds at which we build businesses and buy real estate. In other words, we made mistakes, corrected, and learned. By making those mistakes and learning, what has changed is the size of our context, our content or knowledge, our capacity to handle larger projects and dollar amounts, and the speed at which we process these larger and more complex facts and figures. Taking the fast train gave us different business and investor qualifications than those reaching the affluent level using the slow train. How to see the future On a flight from London to New York, I sat next to a high-level executive from IBM. After we had leveled off and we got to know each other, I asked him, how do you prepare for the future? His reply was, if you want to see how the world will be in 10 years, just watch a 15-year-old boy or girl. Observe the world from their eyes and you will see the future. If you can let go of your vision of the world and actually see the world from a younger person's point of view, you will see a much bigger world, a world filled with tremendous change and an abundance of opportunities yet to come. There are business and investment opportunities coming that will create bigger fortunes than the automobile did for Henry Ford, oil did for John D. Rockefeller, computers did for Bill Gates, and the Internet did for the young founders of Yahoo, AOL, and Netscape. I then asked, will we soon see a high school teenager become a self-made billionaire? His reply was, I'd bet money on it. If you are not rich today because you missed the last boat leaving the dock, do not worry. Another boat to the land of riches and opportunity is getting ready to sail. The question is, will you be on it? A plan for the future. If you are sincere about wanting to retire young and retire rich, you need to formulate a plan for the future. And to do this, you should look to the past. In my reality, history does have a tendency to repeat itself, even though it may not repeat itself in exactly the same way. Many adults miss the future or are run over by the future because their plans for the future have no vision of the past. In 1998, I was talking to a young reporter in San Francisco who was just out of college. When I told her that mutual funds were risky and that I could see a crash coming, she became very angry. She then began quoting to me words and ideas her stockbroker had said to her. The fund I am invested in has been the top-rated mutual fund for three years running. It has gone up by an average of 25% each year. 
The stock market is the best investment because even though there are dips in the market, as there was in 1987, the market has gone up consistently for 40 years. It is the best place to invest your money. Today, her sacred funds are down over 50%. While her facts and data are somewhat accurate, the problem is her data does not go far enough back in time. If she knew her history of markets, she would know that we have a depression every 75 years on average. While this does not mean we will have a depression every 75 years, that little bit of ancient history does explain why the market has gone up over the past 40 years. The last market crash and depression was in 1929. It took the market approximately 25 years to recover to 1929 levels, or to year 1955. I was talking to her in 1998, and so her facts were accurate that the market has gone up for 40 years. Her view of the future is hindered because her view of the future does not include enough of the past. One of the things my rich dad had me do was read books on economic history. A great book I recommend people read if they want to understand the future is the book entitled The Worldly Philosophers by Robert Heilbronner. It is a great book for anyone wanting to see the future by studying the past. When I teach my investment classes, I have people fill out a financial statement. I then have them look at their past and ask them if what they also see is their future. If they do not like what they see, I advise them to begin to get unfrozen, get hip, throw out your old clothes, update your wardrobe, change your old friends, and begin to see the future. And above all, change the way you think about money. If you can change your context to be excited about the opportunities in the future, you have a better chance of retiring young and retiring rich. Seeing a Rich Future Assuming that the poor earn $25,000 or less per year, the middle class makes $25,000 to $100,000 per year, the affluent $100,000 to $1 million per year, the rich $1 million or more a year, and the ultra-rich $1 million or more a month, Many people cannot imagine a financially free future with $100,000 or more a year coming in without working. The reason many people cannot imagine having that much money is because they do not have it in their reality. Many people may dream of such dollar amounts and may say that someday they will make that much, but in reality, most people are just dreaming. The statistics verify this reality. The harsh reality is that 99% of the U.S. population will end up making just above the $25,000 mark. Some are between $25,000 and $50,000 a year after they retire. Most will follow in their parents' footsteps. Rich Dad always said, Your future is created by what you do today, not tomorrow. A plan is the bridge to your dreams. Your job is to make the plan or bridge real so that your dreams become real. If all you do is stand on this side of the bank and dream of the other side, your dreams will forever be just dreams. First make your plan real, and then your dreams will come true. Between 1985 and 1994, Kim and I worked on making our plan real rather than dreaming of our dreams. We practiced every day, preparing for the day when our window of opportunity would appear. Once it appeared, we took our shots and then the window closed. As Rich Dad said, your future is created by what you do today, not tomorrow. One of the first steps in changing your financial future is to stop doing today what you do not want in your future. Start asking yourself how you can learn to work for passive and portfolio income. Once you come up with some answers, make those answers a part of your plan. It may mean studying more, reading more books, listening to tapes, attending more seminars, starting a home-based business and meeting new friends. In other words, do today what you want for your tomorrows. How do you see the future? I am also often asked, how do I see the future if I cannot see it with my eyes? The answer is found in something my rich dad said to me years ago. 
Sight is what you see with your eyes. Vision is what you see with your mind. When I asked Rich Dad what improved a person's vision, he said, words and numbers. He stressed the importance of learning how to read financial statements, because you could not see your financial future if you could not read financial statements. In fact, if you cannot read a financial statement, you cannot see your financial past, present, or future. I created the cash flow games to assist people in improving their mind's vision by teaching them the numbers and vocabulary of rich people. One thing that has worked for many people is to get a group of friends together to play Cash Flow 101 on a regular basis. Once you have Cash Flow 101 mastered, you may want to teach it to others and inspire them to take action. And, or you may want to move on to Cash Flow 202, the more advanced game. The reality is, the more you play the game, the more you teach the game, and the more you make the game a part of your life, the better your vision of the future will become. Fast Words for Fast Plans If you want to create a fast plan, you need to learn to use fast words. When it comes to money, millions of people use word tools that are slow and antiquated. Rich Dad said, Words are tools for your brain. The reason so many people struggle financially is because they give their brain old, slow, and obsolete tools to use. If you want to be rich, you first need to update your tools. Most people think it is smart to save money. Saving money is slow. You can become rich saving money, but the price is time, your lifetime. So to me, save is a slow word. My poor dad taught me how to save money. My rich dad taught me how to raise capital. A student in one of my classes asked, But what if someone does not know how to raise capital? Then it is best you save money or invest some time learning how to raise capital. Raising capital is a learned skill. But isn't it difficult to ask people for money? asked the student. It was for me at first, as learning anything new is. It's just like learning to ride a bike. I was very nervous at the start and made mistakes at the beginning, and I still make mistakes today. Yet I learn from those mistakes, so my education and experience makes raising capital easier and easier the older I get. So while I struggle to save $100 a month, you can raise millions of dollars in the same time, another student chimed in. That is what you mean by words are tools, and that some words are fast and others are slow. I just nodded and said, words are tools for your brain. Plan to use faster words. If you are creating a plan to retire young and retire rich, you may need to update your vocabulary. And if you change your vocabulary, you may speed up your ideas. For example, if you use the words high-paying job, these are slow words. And cash flow are fast words. My poor dad always advised, get a high-paying job. My rich dad always advised, you want cash flow from assets. See the difference. Finding a high-paying job may seem like the fast way to get rich at the start, but in most cases, it is the slow way to become rich in the end. Few people ever became rich via a job, even a high-paying one. Cash flow from assets is better than income from a job. As Rich Dad said, there is more to being rich than having a lot of money. The rich use a different set of words, and those words guide them to different life experiences. Experiences such as learning how to raise capital rather than save money. The words save money are slow words, while the words make money are fast words. In principle, as long as there are ready market of buyers and sellers for whatever you may produce, then you are, within this context, making money. My books and audio cassettes are a form of making money. If I were a doctor who had to personally work to get paid, then I would be a doctor who worked for money. If I were a doctor who invented a new medicine and sold it in the form of a pill through pharmacies, that pill would be a form of the doctor making money rather than working for money. 
Another slow word is appreciation, while depreciation is a fast word. I hear friends say to me statements such as, I bought a lot in this new golf course community. It's a good investment, and I expect the lot will double in value in five years. To them, such returns are a good investment, and hopefully they will realize a doubling or appreciation of their money in five years. Rich Dad taught his son Mike and me to use different words. When it came to buying any investment, he always said, Your profit is made when you buy, not when you sell. Rich Dad invested for immediate returns in his investment, or cash flow. He also invested for a thing he called phantom cash flow, a.k.a. depreciation. He loved immediate cash flow and depreciation because he did not have to wait for his investment to appreciate in order for him to make money. He would say, waiting for a stock or piece of real estate to appreciate in value was too slow and too risky. If you use the words, avoid risk, these are slow words. But if you say, gain control, these are fast words. Rich Dad told me, in order to be a player on the fast track, you will need to have a plan on how to gain more and more control. On the fast track, it is control more than money that counts. Considering risk versus control, Rich Dad said, the more a person seeks security, the more that person gives up control over their life. Today I see two worlds evolving. One world is the world I call the responsible society. It is the group that believes in being responsible for their lives and the ultimate outcome of their lives. There is another world that I call the victim society, which is the group that believes that someone else, a company, or the government is responsible for their lives. In any group, family, or company, there are usually both types of societies. Both see the world from their own context or reality, and both seem to think they are right. I have found that one of the dividing factors between both societies is their core view on the ideas of risk versus control. Victims tend to want to give control over their lives to someone else in order to avoid taking risks. Then they get angry when they feel someone abuses the control they granted the abuser in the first place. In other words, victims are often victims of themselves. Mutual funds are also slow words. 506 Regulation D are fast words. The reason I say that mutual funds are slow is because the big profits or appreciation in any paper asset is made at the formation of the company, prior to the company going public. When rich investors begin investing in the share of a company, they are often investing according to the terms and conditions spelled out by the Security and Exchange Commission, SEC's Regulation 506D, and other such regulations. In other words, the rich invest in shares of a company when the company is still a private company. The public invests in shares of a company after it becomes a public company. The differences can be enormous. For example, if you had invested $25,000 in Intel prior to it going public, that $25,000 might be worth more than $40 million today, depending on the ups and downs of the stock market. This does not mean mutual funds are not good investments. For most people, mutual funds are great investments. But they are better investments if you know what you are doing, know what the risks are, and know the big picture of the whole game of investing in stocks and mutual funds, public and private. Knowing the words, vocabulary, and the jargon of the investments of the rich improves your chances of becoming richer quicker. The Leverage of Integrity From 1985 to 1989, Kim and I did not have any passive or portfolio income. We were working diligently at building a business so that we could have more leveraged earned income. All the extra money we earned went back into building the business. As the years crept on, I could hear my rich dad saying, The moment you make passive income and portfolio income a part of your life, your life will change. Those words will become flesh. Both my dads were sticklers for knowing the definition of words. They also said, You're only as good as your word. 
people who do not keep their word are not much good. One of the reasons so few people retire young and retire rich is that they are not true to their word. They use words that to them are not real. If you want to change your financial future, one of the most important and inexpensive steps you can take is to know the definitions of the words you use seriously. Some of the more basic, fundamental, and important words to understand are your personal current ratio, quick ratio, liquidity ratio, debt-to-earnings ratio, as well as the difference between assets and liabilities, and earned, portfolio, and passive income. All of these words are defined and explored in my previous books and audio programs, particularly Rich Dad's Guide to Investing and Rich Kid Smart Kid. Harnessing the Power of Words Why are words important? simply because the concepts behind them can be useful to you and your life. For instance, understanding basic ratios, such as debt-to-equity or liquidity ratios, can help you in gaining your financial freedom. Let me explain. A useful ratio is your debt-to-equity ratio. For example, if you have long and short-term debt of, let's say, $100,000, and you have $20,000 in equity, then your debt-to-equity ratio would be 5, because you need to divide 100000 by 20000 the question is, what does this mean? Well, in reality, it means very little. Yet, if next month your ratio is 10, that might tell you that you could be mismanaging your life. A debt-to-equity ratio of 10 could mean that either your debt has gone up to $200,000 or your equity has dropped to $10,000. In either case, those numbers have more meaning because they are real numbers that relate to your life. As Rich Dad said, mind your own business. And knowing these simple ratios are excellent tools for teaching yourself how to mind as well as manage your own business, the business of your life. One of the ratios Rich Dad had me watch and monitor was what he called the wealth ratio. His wealth ratio was passive income plus portfolio income to total expenses. The goal of calculating your wealth ratio was to have your passive and portfolio income equal or exceed your total expenses. This would mean you could quit your job, earned income source, and still maintain your lifestyle. Once your passive and portfolio income exceed your expenses, the ratio would be one or higher, and you would be out of the rat race. Kim and I knew the definitions of the words passive and portfolio income, and we knew we wanted them in our lives. But for five years, we did not have these two types of income. Suddenly after the 1987 stock market crash and the seven-year recession began, we knew that the window of opportunity had arrived. It was our time to make the words real it was time to have a wealth ratio that was more than zero. We bought our first property in 1989, and by 1994, we had a little over $10,000 in passive income a month, and our total expenses were less than $3,000 a month. So, $10,000 divided by $3,000, that gave us a wealth ratio of 3.3. Today, our wealth ratio is over 12, even though our expenses have gone up significantly. That is the power of making the words a part of your life. If you are serious about retiring young and retiring rich, you may want to make Rich Dad's wealth ratio a part of your life. Add power to your life. There are two points I want to make from this section on words, action, and integrity. One point is that a few simple definitions and simple numbers can add a lot of power to a person's life. Just as any good shopper would want to know the price per pound, each of us should be aware of our debt-to-equity ratios, your personal wealth ratio, and other simple mathematical indicators. The second point is that there is more to success than simply knowing the definitions of words and throwing around jargon in the attempt to sound intelligent. Too many people today use words they don't really understand. Many financial services salespeople use financial words that they don't really understand in an attempt to sound more intelligent than their clients. 
The main point is, if you want to retire young and retire rich, it is important for you to constantly improve your financial vocabulary. But to fully improve your vocabulary, it is also important to know more than just the definition of the word. In my opinion, it is important to make that word a part of your life and your reality. For example, when I say the word passive income, I say it with passion because it is an important part of my life. Passive income means as much to me as pay raise means to many employees. I've spent years learning how to convert earned income into passive income. The more time I spend actually converting earned income to passive income, the more real-life experience I gain. While both dads did not stress the importance of the same words, they both stressed the importance of the word integrity. Both dads agreed that one of the definitions of integrity was the correlation between a person's words and a person's actions. Both dads said, listen to what a person says, but more importantly, watch what a person does. My real dad constantly reminded his children about the importance of keeping one's word. He would say, ultimately, we are our words. If your words are no good, then so are you. That is why he also said, never make promises you don't plan to keep. One of the more simple, yet powerful parts of my plan to have a life of great wealth was to make sure I had the integrity to be true to my words and respect the power of words by matching my word to my actions. Rich Dad said, If you will keep your small agreements, you will keep your big agreements. A person who cannot keep his or her small agreements can never have bigger dreams come true. I bring this idea in now because there are so many people who have big plans, but their big plans never come true. The reason is, too many people have big plans but fail to keep their small agreements. As Rich Dad said, people who do not keep their small agreements are people who cannot be trusted. If you cannot be trusted with small agreements, people will not help you make your big dreams come true. If you cannot keep your word, then people fail to trust you and have little confidence in you and your words. So I pass on the words of wisdom from both my dads, and those words are, Be sure your words and your actions are one. In summary, if you want to retire young and retire rich, take the time to constantly upgrade your financial vocabulary and have the integrity to walk the talk rather than just talk. Always remember that words are tools for the brain and that there are fast words and slow words to wealth. The Leverage of Fairy Tales Rich Dad loved fairy tales, especially the story of the tortoise and the hare and the three little pigs. He absorbed their lessons, and those lessons guided his life. I remember him saying, Many times in life you will meet people who are smarter, faster, richer, more powerful, and more gifted than you. Just because they have a head start in you does not mean you cannot win the race. If you will keep faith in yourself, do the things that most people do not want to do, and keep making progress on a daily basis, the race of life will be yours. He would often intertwine the story of the tortoise and the hare with the story of the three little pigs. When I was around 12 years old, Rich Dad said, Poor people build financial houses made of straw. The middle class build financial houses made of sticks. And rich people build houses of brick. He would then add, To be a successful tortoise, it's okay to be slow, but be sure you are slowly building a house of bricks. In 1968, while at home for Christmas leave from the academy I attended in New York, Rich Dad and his son invited me to their new home, which was the penthouse of his new hotel. Remember me telling you those stories, Rich Dad said, as we gazed from his balcony over the white sand beach and crystal blue ocean. The stories of the tortoise and the hare and the three little pigs? I do, I said, still amazed at the beauty of their new home, high on top of their new hotel. I remember them well. Well, here is the house of bricks, he said with a grin. 
1968, while standing on the balcony of his penthouse, Rich Dad reminded me of another fairy tale. Do you know the story of the ugly duckling, he asked. I nodded my head as I leaned over the balcony. Well, most of my life I saw myself as the ugly duckling. When I dropped out of school at age 13, I saw the world as an outsider, someone who did not fit, someone who had been left behind. While working in my parents' store, high school boys would come in and push me around or damage the store, knocking cans off the shelves or throwing oranges out on the road and daring me to do something about it. Did you ever fight back? I asked. Twice, but I got pretty badly beaten, said Rich Dad. You used the story of the ugly duckling to keep you going, didn't you? I used the story of the ugly duckling, the story of the three little pigs, the story of David and Goliath, the story of the tortoise and the hare to keep me going. Instead of letting those bullies get me down, I used their actions to inspire me to do better. Today, I have a house of bricks, and we are in the penthouse in that house of bricks. You became the swan, I said with a smile. Well, I wouldn't go that far, Rich Dad chuckled. The point is that we can all grow, evolve, and make dramatic changes in our lives if we want to. The other point is that fairy tales can come true. Ugly ducks can become beautiful swans, and slow tortoises can win the race. From Slow Plan to Fast Plan In one of my classes, a young woman asked, What is the first step? I explained that in 1989, two years after the market crashed and a recession set in, Kim and I were working on our plan. We had agreed that we would buy two pieces of real estate a year for ten years. As the market crashed, we found more and more deals as more and more people panicked. In less than a year, we had purchased five small rental properties, each with a positive cash flow. I estimate that we had looked at over 600 properties just to find those five small houses that made investment sense. But now the market was getting worse, and more and more deals were appearing. The problem was, we were out of money. I realized that we were at the limits of our context, our reality. So it was time to change your reality, asked another student. Yes, I said. It was time to change or miss a window of opportunity. The first thing I did was admit to myself that I was being a tortoise who wanted to quit. And it was not time to quit. It was time to push on. Keeping the lessons from those fairy tales in mind, I continued instead of giving up. One day after Kim and I had just come back from a trip, the phone rang. The call was from my favorite real estate broker. I just found the deal of the day, he said. If you are interested in it, I'll give you a half-hour head start before I tell another one of my clients. He told me it was a 12-unit apartment house that was in a great area, and it was only $335,000, $35,000 down, and the seller was anxious to sell. The broker then faxed me the sales data on the property with a rough pro forma on income and expenses. I told the broker to give me half an hour, and I would drive out immediately to look at it. When I got there, I realized why it was such a great deal, so I dashed to a payphone and told the broker I would take it. Even though we had no money, I offered the sellers what they were asking, which was $35,000 down, and they would carry the $300,000 at 8% interest for five years. It was such a great deal that I could not pass it up. My only problem now was to find the $35,000 in 30 days, which is when the couple wanted to move out. So how did you afford it? asked the student. Or did you afford it? Finally, after sweating, praying, and doing our best not to quit, we took our paperwork to our bank and presented our story to the bank manager. After he turned us down, I asked him why he turned us down, and what could I have done better. Then I went to the next bank, with the first banker's improvements incorporated into our pitch, and was again turned down. Each time our presentation was clearer and much more professional. We could now explain in banker's words why it was such a great investment. The sixth banker said, yes, he had the $35,000 check for us in two days, and with three days to spare, we went to the escrow office and bought the 12-unit apartment house. What happened after that? asked the student. 
The real estate market continued to slide, and even though we still had very little money, we kept buying. By 1994, the market turned up and we were financially free for the rest of our lives. That 12-unit apartment building sold for over $500,000 in 1994 and had put over $1,100 a month in our pocket during that period. The $165,000 in capital gains were rolled tax-deferred into a 30-unit apartment house, which is one of the apartment houses we still have today. That 30-unit apartment house began putting a little bit more than $5,000 a month in our pocket each month. With the other properties and investment we had, we were earning over $10,000 a month in passive income, which put us at the affluent level, and we retired. We had about $10,000 in passive income and about $3,000 in monthly expenses. We were financially free. So it was not luck, said another student. It was your plan that got accelerated. We were prepared for the window of opportunity, and we took it, I said. Soon after 1994, the prices of real estate skyrocketed, and it became a little harder to find such bargains and willing sellers. The reason I tell you this story is to explain to you the importance of being willing to expand your context as well as add to your content. So today, affording a $335,000 property is easy for you because you increased your reality and your education. Is that what you are saying? asked a student. Very easy, I replied. The important thing for Kim and me was the willingness to go beyond our context and our content. Have you become an ugly duckling again? asked a student a little cynically. Sure, I said. After the $335,000 apartment house, we found it easy to invest up to the $2.5 million level. From 1994 to 2001, we did well in the range of up to $2.5 million, and our passive income increased to about $16,000 a month without much effort. Simultaneously, in 1996, I knew it was time for me to learn how to take a company public through the IPO process. Also in 1996, Kim and I met Sharon Lecter, and Rich Dad, Poor Dad was published. Sharon, Kim, and I founded Cashflow Technologies, Inc. in the fall of 1997. We were entering a new world with a new context, content, and friends. Our real estate investing context remained at $2.5 million in investments. So you moved to expand your context in other areas. Is that what you're saying? asked a student. That is exactly what I'm saying. With Sharon as a co-author and partner in the business, our little company grew far beyond our wildest dreams. Without Sharon, we would not be as successful as we are today. After working for five years with another investor, we have four to six companies going public through the IPO process in the next few years. Both in business and in the IPO process, our reality on what is possible has expanded considerably. Our context as to business in the IPO process has taken quantum leaps. A Quantum Leap in Wealth Most of us have heard of the term a quantum leap. Others may use the term exponential, meaning beyond a linear increase. In other words, 1 plus 1 does not always equal 2. In a quantum leap of wealth, or an exponential increase of money, 1 plus 1 can equal 5, 6, 7, or more. If you work diligently and build a strong house of bricks, I have found that there are often sudden quantum leaps of wealth, quantum leaps that people who follow a 1 to 1 ratio do not seem to have. For example, from 1985 to 1990, life for Kim and me was pretty much a life of financial struggle. Suddenly, between 1990 and 1994, we had a sudden and exponential burst in wealth and financial success. From 1994 to 1998, life again was pretty stable. We worked diligently building assets, more specifically businesses. Then, suddenly in 1999, not only did my books and games begin to take off, many of our other businesses and investments began to catch fire. It seemed like a sudden surge of good fortune, new friends, and new opportunities. Yet in reality, it was the years of working without much results and occasional financial setbacks that was the source of the surge in exponential wealth. 
The reason this happens is because the value of assets often increases exponentially while the value of your labor only increases incrementally. For example, my accountant told me that the value of one of my companies grew to $40 million in the year 2000. That was the price she thought we could sell it for if we wanted to sell it. At the same time, one of my attorneys raised his hourly rate by $25 an hour. That is an example of assets increasing exponentially and income increasing incrementally. When I look at the success of Rich Dad, Poor Dad and our company RichDad.com, much of our current success is due in large part to my failures of the past. Sharon and Kim also had their setbacks, disappointments in business, and yet those setbacks became the lessons learned that contribute to our combined success today. I mention all this as a way of encouraging you to keep going, even though you may encounter some setbacks along your life's path. If you will learn from each setback, rather than blame or make excuses, your wealth of knowledge will increase. If you steadily work to be more and more generous, work to serve more and more people, work to increase your leverage ratios, I am quite certain that you too will experience these sudden bursts, quantum leaps, or exponential jumps in wealth. Going back to the stories that Rich Dad liked so much, it seems that even turtles can be pushed along with a sudden gust of tailwind. The Power of Networks I came across a law known as Metcalfe's Law that partially explains the quantum leap or exponential burst of wealth. Robert Metcalfe is one of the founders of 3Com, the company that brought you the Palm Pilot. His law states that the economic power of a business is the square of the number in the network. Stating it more clearly is the story of the fax machine. In my early days at the Xerox Corporation, we were tasked at selling fax machines. The problem in the early 1970s was that very few people had fax machines and even fewer people knew what they did. Since there were so few fax machines, their economic value was low. Yet as time went on and more and more people used them, there was a sudden burst in their popularity. Today, most of my friends have fax machines in their homes as well as their businesses. So Metcalfe's law is this. If you have only one fax machine, your economic value is 1, according to the formula of 1 to 1 squared. But the moment you have two fax machines, the economic value of the network does not go up linearly. It increases in a quantum fashion. The moment you have a second fax machine, the economic value goes up to 4, not 2. 1 to 2 squared equals economic value of 4. With 10 fax machines in the network, there is an economic value of 100. After understanding Metcalfe's law, the law of networks, I knew why network marketing organizations offer such a powerful tool to average people like you and me. Applying Metcalfe's law to a network marketing business, you begin to see the power of this form of business. Today, when I talk to people who are worried about their retirement or their mutual funds in their retirement account, I often recommend they add to their portfolio a network marketing business. I say to them, if you really follow the lessons taught by some of the network marketing businesses and you build a solid business with solid people in your network, you will find that business to be far more secure than the mutual funds found in your retirement fund. If you truly work hard to make those in your network rich, they in turn will make you rich and very secure. The Power of Monopoly Rich Dad often said, The formula for great wealth is found in the game of Monopoly. Many of us know this formula. The formula of buying four greenhouses and trading them in for one red hotel. The formula for wealth found in the game of Monopoly also follows Metcalfe's law. When you look at the comparison of my poor dad's and rich dad's ratio, you may understand why my rich dad's economic power continued to increase and my poor dad's economic power remained the same. With my poor dad, his real estate holdings included just his own home. That ratio of one to one never changed. But with my rich dad, 
His economic power included over 450 properties and was always increasing to create a ratio of 1 to 450. In other words, my poor dad's economic power remained at 1. 1 squared is still 1. All he had was his house. In this example, my rich dad's economic power was 450 squared. He controlled over 450 rental units. His economic power was going up exponentially. When you look at my poor dad's ratio of 1 to 1, and then factor in the power that taxes had in his income, earned income, 50%, you can actually see why my poor dad's economic power did not increase, although he worked harder and harder. My rich dad's income was going up, his economic power was going up, and he was paying less and less in taxes. In 1985, Kim and I had a plan to acquire two new rental units a year. We began buying our first property in 1989. Once we had five units, our economic power was five squared, or 25. Not only did our economic power go up, our confidence had also gone up as our experience went up. When we purchased that 12-unit apartment house, our leverage ratio was 1 to 17, and our economic power was 1 to 17 squared, or 289. Others who only had their home and did not purchase investment property during the downturn had their real estate ratio remain 1 to 1, and their economic power remain at 1. For Kim and me, our goal for the year 2005 is to have 1,000 rental units or more in our portfolio. The question is, what is the economic power of 1,000 squared? Metcalf's law explains why my rich dad was eventually earning more in a year than my poor dad earned all his life. Metcalf's law also explains why tortoises can beat hares if they continue to acquire assets rather than work for money, as many a rabbit often does. Network Marketing Business After understanding Metcalf's law, I knew why network marketing organizations offer such a powerful tool to average people like you and me. But before I get into this further, let's review the cash flow quadrant for a moment and see how network marketing can facilitate movement from employee to investor. As you may remember, the four quadrants of the cash flow quadrant are designated in the following way. E, which stands for employee or someone who works for security or benefits. And this is above the S, which stands for self-employed or small business owner. People like doctors, lawyers, or accountants who work for themselves. On the other side of the quadrant, we find the B, which stands for business owners, people who have others work for them. Below that is the I, which stands for investor, people who make money with money. They do not have to work because their money is working for them. Now, how does network marketing fit into the quadrant? Here's an example. A person from the E or S quadrant decides to join a network marketing organization and learns to move to the B quadrant. He or she works for a year or two, gaining the required education and mindset. But it is not much different than being in the E or S quadrant. It is still 1 to 1 squared, with an economic power of 1. But suddenly, in the third year, this person's context is expanded because they have new content, and all of a sudden they now attract and train three strong candidates who also want to build the business. Their leverage ratio is now 1 to 3, with economic power of 9. In three years, that is a quantum leap of power. After five years, let's say this person now has a network of 10 people. With this change, their leverage ratio is 1 to 10, with economic power of 100. Now let's say this person decides that 10 people are enough, and he or she focuses only on the 10 people in his or her business. After just a few years, let's say the 10 people in his network also have 10 people, 1 to 10 to 10. This means the original person now has 100 people in his network. Then, with his or her excess cash, the person begins to buy apartment houses. Within 5 to 10 years, this individual has not only made the shift from the E and S side of the quadrant, they have jumped their economic power in both the B and I quadrant, something that is hard to do in the E and S quadrant. Suddenly, 
the person who made the shift is far wealthier, making much more money, and has more economic power than the peers he or she left behind in the E or S quadrant. Imagine it. After 15 years, the numbers could be staggering. That is an oversimplified example of why I recommend some of the network marketing companies. If you truly work hard to make those in your network rich, they in turn will make you rich and very secure. In my mind, a network marketing business is far more secure than the stock market because you are counting on people you have grown to love and trust, and all of you are harnessing the power of Metcalfe's Law, the law that measures the power of networks. Networks Harness the Power of Generosity The rich and powerful understand the power of networks. McDonald's is a network of hamburger stands linked throughout the world. General Motors is a network of car dealerships throughout America. Exxon is an oil company with oil fields, tankers, pipelines, and gas stations linked throughout the world. If the rich and powerful use networks, shouldn't you? Safeway is a chain of food stores that distributes food throughout the country. CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, PBS, CBN are very powerful communication networks. Rich Dad said, if you want to be rich, you must build networks and link your network with other networks. The reason it's easy to become rich through networks is because it's easy to be generous through networks. Networks are people, businesses, or organizations that you are generous with because you support them and they support you. Networks are powerful forms of leverage. If you want to be rich, build a network and network with other networks. Our business plan for richdad.com is based on networking. Today we network with AOL, Time Warner, Time Life, PBS, publishers in 40 different countries, many church organizations, and several network marketing companies. We work together to make each other stronger and more viable, as well as wealthier. There is a give and take, a sharing of strengths and minimizing of weaknesses that make us all stronger. We have found that through being cooperative and focused on making sure the people we do business with do well financially, we grow exponentially. I have noticed that individuals or businesses that primarily focus only on making themselves rich or taking more than they give do not make good network partners. I have noticed that people who want only to take and are only concerned about themselves often have to work harder and earn less in the long run. Additionally, I have met so many people who form a business by borrowing money or raising capital from friends, family, and other investors. They immediately rent a big office, buy a fancy car, and pay themselves huge salaries from investors' capital rather than from income from the business. Because the investors' capital is mismanaged and there is still no income, they then try to pay the business, their employees, and specialists as little as possible. In such ventures, it is often the investor that gets stuck with the bill, as was the case with many dot-com startups. Rich Dad said to his son and me, The people who must get paid first ultimately get paid the least. The business owner should pay himself last because he is in business to build an asset. If he is in business for the big paycheck, he should not be in business. He should be looking for a job. If the business owner has done a good job at paying everyone else to build his asset, the asset should be worth far more than he could ever have paid himself. Rich Dad said, Most people are not in the world of business to build or acquire assets. Most people are in the world of business as employees or self-employed specialists because they want a paycheck. This is one of the main reasons that less than 5% of the U.S. population is rich. Only 5% of the population realize the value of assets over money. Rich Dad also said the business owner or entrepreneur gets the big bucks at the end of the day because he or she must be the most generous at the start of the day. The business owner takes the most risks and also gets paid last. If they have done a good job, the amounts of money can be staggering. That is why when starting any business I work for free, I work for free because I want the big money at the end of the day. A final word on generosity. 
During the dot-com mania, there was much talk about old economy businesses and new economy businesses. Regardless of the business is old economy or new, all successful business and individuals must follow certain age-old principles and laws. Generosity falls under the age-old law of reciprocity. It is the law that states, Give, and you shall receive. It is not a law that states receive, and then you give. It is a law that has survived the test of time, and it will survive the test of the future. Today, more than ever before, it is very important to want to look out after yourself and your loved ones. But if you want to be rich, you must first think about serving the needs of as many people as you can. It's the law. Rich Dad believed in the law of reciprocity, and in the idea that being generous was the best way to becoming very, very rich. It was his context on life, and his actions were in integrity with his context. Not only did Rich Dad believe in being generous by serving more and more people, he also believed in being generous with his money. In that line of thinking, he truly believed in the power of tithing or the power of giving money. That is why Rich Dad gave generously to his church, charities, and schools. He gave money because he wanted more money. He would often say, God does not need to receive, but humans need to give. If you have a hard time giving money, you may want to start giving a little at a time on a regular basis. Each time you give, you will hear your context or your reality speaking loudly to you. The moment you give, if only a dollar, to your church or favorite charity, your world is changed. The moment you sincerely build a business or invest to increase your service to more people, you have forever increased your chances of becoming extremely wealthy and retiring rich and retiring young. The Leverage of Action Rich Dad said, Talk is cheap. Watch what a person does more than listen to what they say. The first two sections of this program have been primarily about the mental and planning process of acquiring great wealth. Both processes are important to retiring young and retiring rich. But this next section is what one can and must do in order to retire young and retire rich. There are many books written on how to become rich. The problem with many of them is they tell you to do things that are often too hard for most people to do. This section of the program is about the simple things that almost everybody can do. After listening to this section, you will know that you have the ability to become very rich if you want to. Or at a minimum, you will find one or two things that you can do that will make you richer if you choose to do them. But you need to ask yourself how badly do you want to become rich? Although the mental and planning processes are important, Ultimately, it is what you do with what you know that counts. As Rich Dad said, talk is cheap. The Leverage of Habits Rich Dad said, There are habits that make you rich and habits that make you poor. Most poor people are poor because they have poor habits. If you want to be rich, all you have to do is train yourself to have rich habits. If you are serious about becoming rich, you must do the following things over and over again, from now until forever, for the rest of your life. Habit number one. Hire a bookkeeper. Before your banker will lend you the million dollars, he or she will want to know that you are trustworthy with the money. One of the ways the banker will feel comfortable lending you that much money is if you have clean professional financial records in the form of a financial statement. Most people cannot qualify for large loans simply because they have poor records. Even if you do not have a business... Your personal life is a business, and all real businesses have bookkeepers. 
That is why I strongly recommend you hire a bookkeeper and keep a bookkeeper for life. By having a bookkeeper keep your income, expenses, assets, and liabilities in line, you begin to keep professional records. I also strongly recommend you sit down with your bookkeeper and go over your numbers each and every month. Repetition is how we learn. And by repeatedly going over your monthly numbers, not only do you establish a good habit, you gain more insights into your spending patterns, you can make corrections earlier, and you ultimately take control over your financial life. Why not do your own record-keeping? Why hire an outsider? Some of the reasons are, first, you want to start being a professional B or I-quadrant person. All professional B and I-quadrant people have professional bookkeepers. So treat your personal financial life as a business now. Second, you want a disinterested outside third party to look objectively at your money and your spending habits. By having a person who is not emotionally attached to your finances, he or she can put things in clear, logical order and speak to you clearly and logically. Third, my poor dad did not want to look at his financial situation. He kept our financial troubles a personal secret, a secret from himself, his family, and from anyone else. Psychologists will tell you that family secrets become toxic, which means secrets poison the family. I know the emotional pain from our financial struggles did indeed affect all of us. Fourth, by hiring an emotionally unattached professional bookkeeper, you can bring your financial challenges out into the open, thereby bringing the subject of money and the business of your life out into the open. If it is in the open and you discuss your finances with a professional, you are more able to make the changes or tough decisions you need to make before the financial problems become toxic. Fifth, if you earn less than $50,000, a professional bookkeeper should not cost more than $100 to $200 a month. As Rich Dad always said, there is good debt and bad debt, good income and bad income, and good expenses and bad expenses. He told me that hiring a bookkeeper and other professional financial advisors was money that went for good expenses, simply because these were expenses that made you richer, your life easier, and prepared you for a better future. If you truly cannot afford a bookkeeper, then find one and trade services. Finally, and most importantly, hiring a professional bookkeeper reaffirms to yourself that you are taking your personal financial life seriously. It means that at least once a month, you sit down with your bookkeeper, are held accountable, learn, correct, and redirect the financial future of your life. Habit number two. Create a winning team. In Rich Dad's Guide to Investing, I wrote that the B quadrant and the I quadrant are team sports. One of the reasons people from the E and S quadrants have trouble transitioning is because they are not used to having a team assisting them with their financial plans and financial decisions. After your bookkeeper gives you your monthly financial statements, meet with your team on a monthly basis. You may want a banker, accountant, attorney, stockbroker, real estate broker, insurance broker, and others. Each professional comes to the table with a different set of eyes and different ways of solving your problems. Just because you have many opinions does not mean you have to follow any of them. The most important thing is that you do not keep your money problems a secret. You listen to people smarter than you in different areas of expertise, and ultimately, you make your own decision. So start gathering your team. If you cannot afford a high-priced team, you may want to find a retired person who enjoys helping and guiding people. Many times, all you have to do is buy them lunch. You will be surprised how many people simply enjoy being asked to share their life's experience in helping others. All you have to do is be respectful, not argue, and listen intently. Do this once a month, and your future will be enriched forever. Habit number three. Constantly expand your context and your content. We now live in the information age, not in the industrial age. In the information age, your greatest asset is not your stocks, bonds, mutual funds, businesses, or real estate. 
Your greatest asset is the information in your head and the age of your information. Too many people are falling behind because the information in their heads is ancient history, or they cling to answers that were right yesterday but wrong today. If you want to retire young and retire rich, you will need to keep up with a world of rapidly changing information. Keep learning by listening to audio programs, reading financial books, and subscribing to online resources that deal with financial education. Our website lists many resources from our company that can get you started. You can also check the bibliographies of the Rich Dad book series for other important titles. Habit number four. Keep growing up. Rich Dad often said, People get older, but they do not necessarily grow up. Many people run from mom and dad's shelter to the shelter of a company or the government. Many expect someone else to take care of them or be responsible for their lack of wisdom and common sense. That is why they seek job security or government sanctuaries. Too many people spend their lives looking for guarantees and avoiding risk. Government safety nets were created in the industrial age for the very needy. Today, unfortunately, many people, even highly educated and highly paid, are still counting on the government to take care of them. We are in the information age, and it is time that we as a culture begin to grow up and mature financially. Leave the government safety nets and social programs for those that really need them. But also realize that the world is changing and that there isn't much job security and financial security anymore. People are counting on the stock market to assure their security. But what happens if in 20 years, too many people panic and begin draining their 401ks? The stock market will crash, many people will be disappointed, and America may go into a deep recession. If this happens, millions upon millions of baby boomers and their children will finally have to grow up. Growing up means that you become less and less dependent upon others and more able to take care of yourself. Growing up means continuing to learn, continuing to have your money work for you, and continuing on the path to retiring young and retiring rich. Habit number five. Be willing to fail more. One of the biggest differences between my rich dad and my poor dad was that my poor dad was unwilling to fail. He thought making mistakes was a sign of failure. After all, he was a teacher. My poor dad thought that in life there was only one right answer. My rich dad constantly ventured into areas that he knew nothing about. He believed in dreaming big, trying new things, and making small mistakes. Rich dad said, one of the great things about being willing to try new things and make mistakes is that making mistakes keeps you humble. People who are humble learn more than people who are arrogant. So Rich Dad's advice was, live a little. Do something daring and a little risky every day. Even if you do not become rich, this habit will keep your life exciting and keep you younger for years longer. Habit number six. Listen to yourself. The last and most important habit for anyone who wants to retire young and retire rich is to listen to yourself. Rich Dad often said, The most powerful force I have is what I say to myself and what I believe. What Rich Dad meant by your most powerful force goes back to the biblical concept that your words become flesh. In other words, pay close attention to what you are saying to yourself, because what you are saying to yourself is what you are becoming each and every day. Notice the thoughts you don't want. Change to thoughts about things you want. Notice feelings you don't want. Change to feelings you want. Take action and keep going, correcting if necessary, until you get what you want, rather than what you don't want. If you can make these simple habits part of your lifelong habits, the action steps in the next section will be easy for you to realize and make you richer than your wildest dreams. The Leverage of Your Money On March 12, 2001, 
the stock market channels were crying the blues about the crash of the stock market. On March 10, 2000, just a year earlier, the Nasdaq was at an all-time high of 5,048.62. On this day, March 12, 2001, the Nasdaq was at 1923, a 62% fall in approximately a year. Also on this single day, shareholders lost $554 billion on all exchanges. On one of the financial television channels, a commentator said something I've been concerned about for years. He said, many rich investors are only getting richer in this market fall. They get rich because they go in and out of the market. I feel for the working person that has just had their pension plan wiped out. They left their retirement money in the market because they have to. My wife Kim was also watching the program and listening to the commentator. Kim said, watching your retirement plan get wiped out must be like watching your house burn and not having a hose to put the fire out. In Rich Dad's Guide to Investing, I stated that the poor and middle class invest in mutual funds and the rich invest in hedge funds. While many people claim hedge funds are too risky, I tend to disagree. I think mutual funds are far riskier, simply because most mutual funds tend only to do well when the markets go up. At least with some hedge funds, you can make money in an up market as well as a down market. Is your money just sitting there doing nothing? One of the reasons people work so hard all their lives is simply because they were taught to work harder than their money. When most people think of investing, many just park their money either in a savings account or in their retirement account as they continue on with their life of hard work. While they work, they hope their money is working too. Then when something like a financial disaster comes along, their parked money gets decimated and most people have no financial disaster insurance. Rich Dad said, Most people spend their lives building financial houses of straw. Houses which are susceptible to wind, rain, fire, and big bad wolves. That is why Rich Dad taught his son and me how to keep our money moving. If you want to retire young and retire rich, you will need to work harder and faster. Your money will have to do the same thing. How fast is your money? One of the reasons Kim and I retired early was because we kept our money moving. Rich Dad often referred to this concept as the velocity of money. If you want to retire young and retire rich, it is very important that your money be like a bird dog, going out every day and bringing home more and more assets. Today, many financial planners and mutual fund managers say to the average investor, just give us your money and we'll put your money to work for you. Most investors nod and repeat the mantra, invest for the long term, buy and hold, and diversify. Their money gets parked and they go back to work. For most investors, these are pretty good ideas, given that most investors have no interest in learning how to put their money to work, since they seem to prefer working harder than their money. The trouble with these plans of average investors is that they are not necessarily productive investment strategies, nor are they necessarily safer. Kim and I did not keep our money in a retirement account in order to retire young. We knew that we had to keep our money working, working hard to acquire more and more assets. Once our money acquired an asset, that money was soon re-employed to go out and get us another asset. The strategy we use to keep our money moving and acquiring more and more assets is a strategy that almost everyone can use. Keep the money moving One of the strategies we used to keep our money moving was to buy a rental property and within a year or two, borrow out our own down payment and buy another rental property. The following is an example of how we invested and then borrowed money to invest in other assets. In 1990, Kim and I noticed a house for sale in a beautiful neighborhood in Portland, Oregon. The owner was asking $95,000, but the property did not sell. The economy was bad, people were being downsized, and there were many houses on the market. We would have put in an offer earlier, 
but this house did not fit our investment profile. It was too expensive and too nice a house to be considered a long-term rental property. Yet we watched this property because we could see it had a lot of value and potential. After about six months, we finally knocked on the door and found that the owner was very anxious to sell and ready to listen to any offers. He owed $56,000, so I offered $60,000 and we settled on $66,000. I gave him $10,000 and we took over his existing mortgage. A month later, the owner and family had moved out and were on their way to California, happy to have sold their home. They did not make much money and they did not lose much money. The house rented immediately and we wound up making about $75 a month positive cash flow after paying all debt and expenses. About two years later, the market had improved and many people were making us offers to buy it, the best offer being $86,000. Kim and I did not take the offer, although it was tempting. If we had sold, we would have realized approximately a 100% per annum return on our down payment. We felt the house could eventually reach the $150,000 range in three to five years. Instead of selling this house, we decided to begin buying more now that the market was turning in sales price and also rental income. Given the strong market indications, Kim and I applied for a home equity loan. The balance on the mortgage was now less than $55,000, and the appraisal came in at around $95,000. The rent could cover a mortgage of around $70,000, so we refinanced the house and put approximately $15,000 in our pocket. We had gotten our money back and we still had the asset. Within a few months, after looking at several hundred properties, we found our new target. It was a great house in the same neighborhood. The house did not show well since the owner had let his children live in it rent-free for years. The asking price was $98,000, and after several offers and counteroffers, we purchased it for $72,000, put $4,000 into paint and repairs, and put it up for rent. Late in 1994, we sold both houses for just under $150,000 each and took that money to buy a larger apartment house in Arizona, where the market prices were still depressed. Besides keeping our money moving, there are a number of points I would like to point out. 1. We did well because the market was down, and that gave us time to look for and negotiate sensible investments. If the market were up, we would tend to look harder and be even more cautious. 2. The investments had to make sense today, not tomorrow. Rich Dad always said, your profit is made when you buy, not when you sell. Every property we bought had to have a positive cash flow on the day we bought it and had to have a positive cash flow even in a bad economy. If the market had not gone up, Kim and I would still be happy with the investment. 3. As stated earlier in this program, every investor has an exit strategy before they enter the market. Since this was a new type of market, even though it was investing in real estate, it was a different type of real estate investment. This difference required we start over again, doing our research and coming up with different entry and exit strategies. 4. Those two houses would sell for $200,000 to $250,000 today, now that the Portland, Oregon market has recovered. The reason we sold early was to leave some money on the table for the next buyer, also to take advantage of a market that was down and about to move up, in this case the Phoenix market, and because our investment portfolio had changed. We no longer held single-family homes. We had now graduated to larger and larger apartment houses, again for more leverage. 5. Know the difference between being an investor and a trader. We were investors when we were willing to buy and hold the properties for their cash flow. We were traders when we knew our entry as well as our exit strategy. In other words, an investor buys to hold and a trader buys to sell. If you want to retire rich, you need to know how they are different and how to be both. 6. Kim and I invest for the long term. But to us, investing for the long term does not mean parking your money, 
leaving it in one big pile, thinking you're diversified when in reality all of your investments are in one vehicle, a vehicle such as mutual funds, and then hoping that the wind does not blow or a fire does not break out. Investing to us means being in the market every day of our lives, gathering more information, gaining more and more real-life experience, and keeping our money moving. I want my money back. If you are a sophisticated investor, you want your money back, and you want to keep the asset, too. That is the reason I love investing. I get to keep what I purchased and get my money back. If you can understand this principle of investing, you will understand what the velocity of money means. It means you want your money back as quickly as possible so it can be reinvested to acquire other assets. More than one way to speed up your money. This idea of the velocity of your money does not only apply to real estate. The idea of velocity of money is really a principle or mental tool of the rich. Once you understand the principle, you want to be able to apply it in everything you do. Velocity of money is an important aspect of leverage. Another way of increasing the velocity of money is through knowing the tax laws and using corporate entities. For example, let's say someone owns a business and also owns part of a second business that invests in real estate. Rental expense from one company flows to the rental income of the other company. As you may know, a business is taxed after expenses, while the individual is taxed before expenses. So an individual who rents a house pays for that house with after-tax dollars. The business can pay that rent with pre-tax dollars. The rental income goes to another corporate entity, but this income is now classified as passive income rather than earned income. There is an exception where the ownership of the two companies is the same, where the income must be treated as earned income. For example, if you have a business in your home and pay yourself rent, you would have to treat that income as earned income. Passive income, if managed properly, can flow to the individual or the business paying substantially less in taxes. A person who manages his or her business and investment portfolio in this manner can keep their money moving faster while paying much less in taxes. If it flowed into only one corporate entity, it would stagnate and be taxed heavily. Velocity of Money with Paper Assets The idea of the velocity of money applies to all assets, including paper assets. When someone looks at a stock's P.E., price-to-earnings ratio, they are looking at the velocity in many ways. When someone says the stock's P.E. ratio is 20, it means it will take you 20 years to get your money back, based upon today's price and earnings. The Rule of 72 The Rule of 72 is another measure of money's velocity. This rule measures the interest, or annual percentage growth of something. For example, if you receive 10% interest on your savings, your money will double in 7.2 years. If your stock is appreciating in value by 5% per year, that means it will take 14.4 years to double your money. If it appreciates by 20% per year, then it will take 3.6 years to double in value. The rule of 72 is simply dividing the number 72 by the interest or the percentage of gain in value to give the relative speed your money will double. Playing with house money This is one more way an investor can use the velocity of money in their favor, and that is the term playing with house money. There are two reasons I love small-cap stocks. Reason 1. Because I'm an entrepreneur rather than a corporate person, I like and understand the problems of small startup companies and can sense if the business has a chance for growth or not. Reason number 2. A small-cap stock can double and triple in value much faster than a blue-chip stock. Since a small-cap stock has a better chance of doubling or tripling faster than many large-cap stocks, in the right market conditions, it is easier to play with house money. The following is an example of playing with house money. Let's say you buy 5,000 shares of XYZ Company for $5 a share. You now have $25,000 in the market. 
The market shines on you, and in less than a year, the price of XYZ is now $10 a share. You now have a market valuation of $50,000. A greedy investor will say, the market will keep going up, so I'll hang on. Again, an exit strategy is important before getting into the market. Instead of hanging on and just parking your money, one way to increase the velocity of your money is to simply sell $25,000 worth of stock. That way you still have $25,000 worth of stock, although half the shares in this case, and you have your money back. The remaining shares, which have the $25,000 valuation at that time, is playing with house money. I use this strategy often, but not all of the time. How long are blue chips blue? There is another investment strategy I often hear, and that is to invest for the long term and only buy blue chip stocks. To me, that is an obsolete idea. Again, because it was an idea that worked in the industrial age, but not in the information age. The reason that old strategy is not working is because blue-chip stocks are not blue-chips anymore. For example, if you had invested in Xerox 20 years ago, you would be hurting today, even though it is a blue-chip stock. The real question each of us needs to ask is how long will a blue-chip stock be blue? In this age of faster-moving technology, a company may rise and fall in just a few years. The speed of change then requires all of us to be more vigilant and to focus on keeping our money moving, rather than just leaving it parked, waiting for the market to rise and rise forever. The buy, hold, and pray strategy is okay for the average investor, but it is not a great strategy for anyone who wants to retire young and retire rich. The Leverage of Paper Assets As Rich Dad said, while there is risk, investing does not have to be risky. Nor do you have to lose if the market changes direction. In fact, if the market starts to go down, many sophisticated investors make a lot of money. The following are my Rich Dad's lessons on how to invest in the stock market and make money whether the market is going up or down. One of the key things to do is to keep an open context. An open mind and a flexible context are important. Don't say that's impossible. Vocabulary of insurance. If you want to retire young and retire rich, it is important that you invest some time learning how to protect your assets, especially if you plan on holding your wealth in paper assets. You do that by learning and understanding what my rich dad called the language of a sophisticated investor. In my investment seminars, I call it the vocabulary of insurance. Before getting into these words, I believe it is important to review a few other words. Investor versus trader. If you want to be successful in the world of investing, whether it is in paper assets, businesses, or real estate, you need to be both an investor and a trader. An investor knows what to analyze and how to manage investments, and a trader knows how and when to buy and sell. An investor usually wants cash flow from the asset and the trader wants to realize a capital gain from buying low and selling high. Fundamental Investor versus Technical Investor A fundamental investor looks at the financial statement of a company or property. A fundamental investor is often concerned with earnings, the management team, and the long-term potential of the business. The technical investor only cares about the market sentiment at the moment. A technical investor can be a good technical investor and lose money simply because they lack proper fundamentals. The same is true for fundamental investors, who can lose because they lack the knowledge of technical trading. This reality is why Rich Dad wanted his son and me to be qualified or sophisticated investors, investors with both good fundamental skills and good technical skills. And finally, average investor versus sophisticated investor. The average investor barely knows what a financial statement is. The average investor is better off investing for the long term and investing in mutual funds. 
the sophisticated investor, is someone who has money and understands both fundamental investment techniques as well as technical trading techniques. Words that help you win in any market. If you want to retire young and retire rich, protecting or insuring your assets from catastrophic loss is vital. The way to win and protect your assets in any market is to learn and truly understand the vocabulary of the fundamental and technical investor, especially in paper assets. It is easy to do if you will invest a little time. Just as a banker will ask to see your financial statement before giving you a loan and require you to have property, title, and mortgage insurance on a real estate investment to ensure the technical or catastrophic risk, you too should require the same of yourself if you want to invest in paper assets. The way you do that is to begin understanding the words of insurance when investing in paper assets. For instance, trends. Every sophisticated investor must understand trends. There is a saying that all sophisticated investors say, and that is, the trend is your friend. Please remember and use that saying. So what is a trend? Essentially, it is an investment cycle that comes in waves, as do ocean waves. Sophisticated investors go with the trends, changing strategies when appropriate or standing on the sideline if things are too choppy. There are three basic trends that affect paper assets as well as all other investment products. One is an uptrending market, often called a bull market. The second trend is market heading down, and that is called a bear market. The third trend is a sideways trending market, which is a market that is not going up or going down. The sophisticated investor uses different strategies for the different trends. Another important insurance term is moving average. Trends are caused by buyers and sellers. If there are more buyers, then the trend is up. If there are more sellers, then the trend is down. Average investors take comfort when their financial advisor says to them, the market has gone up over the last 40 years. The sophisticated investor is not watching a long-term average, but a moving average. The sophisticated investor watches the ebb and flow of money in and out of the market. These changes tell him when to alter his strategy. But how do you know if the trend is about to change? Does the market give you signs that it's about to change? The answer is yes, although it's not an exact science. There are many different types of patterns that technical investors look for. When technical investors see the double-top pattern, they become cautious and begin to change investment strategies or get out of the market entirely. The price of the stock may tumble down sharply right after this pattern. When technical investors see the double-down pattern emerging, they again change strategies or begin to buy stocks while average investors have given up hope and are selling. One big advantage that technical investors have is that they have time to protect their asset prices with insurance. Average investors have two choices once the market changes direction. They can hold and lose or sell and lose. A sophisticated investor has other choices. The following are some of the mental tools that sophisticated investors use to protect their assets and make money in up and down markets. These are the tools that help them make money and protect their money when the market goes down. So another insurance term is stop orders. Sophisticated investors may call their broker and request a stop order if they suspect the price of the stock may go down, especially if the market trend is down. This is how a stop order works. Let's say your stock is at $50 today and the charts tell you that the market is trending down. All you have to do is call your broker and put in a stop order at, let's say, $48. If the stock price begins to drop to, let's say, $30 because more sellers have entered the market, your stop order becomes a market order and the stock is sold at $48 and your losses are limited to $2. The average investor would lose $18 and still be clinging to the stock. 
Although stop orders are often used as insurance by investors, they are not always used by very sophisticated investors. Often the share prices tend to gap on the opening transaction, and sophisticated investors already have the news and have decided whether to sell their shares or cancel the stop limit order. There is a lot more to investing with these tools than just asking your broker to put in a sell stop or a buy stop, which is a stop in the other direction. Sophisticated investors tend to have many more tools and understandings than average investors. If they don't, they too will get killed while their peers are making a killing. Some final insurance terms are call options. Another word for options is insurance. Simply put, a call option gives the owner of the option the right to buy 100 shares of stock at a certain price per share over a predetermined period of time. A call option is an insurance policy, protecting the investor from missing out on a sudden increase in the price of a stock. Put options. Call options are used to make money in an uptrending or bull market. When the trend of the market is down, the sophisticated investor will use put options not only to make money, but also to protect the value of their stock in case prices begin to fall. Collars or straddles. Straddles or collars are the ultimate insurance protection. In overly simple terms, a straddle or collar is placing a put and a call around a price position. Collars or straddles are used to protect both the up and the downside risks and opportunities. It can be an ultra-conservative strategy if you know what you're doing. Shorts. First of all, a short is not an option. When someone says, I am shorting this stock, they are trading in stocks, not options. A sophisticated investor knows the differences between shorts and options and knows when and when not to use them. Why short a stock? Generally, if the investor feels the price of a stock is too high and the market is trending down, a sophisticated investor may find it profitable to begin to use shorts to make money. Shorting a stock is simply borrowing someone else's stocks, selling them into the market, and putting the money into your pocket. If and when the market price of the stock comes down, the investor buys the stock back and returns it to the person they borrowed the stocks from. The main point of all this is that investing does not have to be risky if you're willing to invest a little time to increase your education. Once you learn to minimize risk, you can greatly increase your returns. What everyone can do To me, buying options to protect your assets makes sense, and selling options for cash flow is fun. One of the reasons I do not worry about money is simply because I know I can go to the market and make more money in minutes than most people make in months and pay less in taxes. Can everyone do what I do? Absolutely. But only if they're willing to invest some time in expanding their context and increasing their financial context. So what can everyone do? The following are some suggestions. 1. Borrow a book from the library on options trading. First learn the definitions of words and then read for greater understanding. 2. Attend a seminar on options trading. There are many available. 3. Find a stockbroker who will teach you and guide you through the process. 4. Play Cash Flow 101 at least 12 times so you learn the mindset of fundamental investing. After you have mastered 101, you can move on to Cash Flow 202, which is the game that teaches people how to use call options, put options, shorts, and straddles. Most importantly, Cash Flow 202 teaches you to think in multiple directions depending on changing market trends. Is investing risky? My answer is absolutely not. In my opinion, being financially ignorant is risky. If you want to retire young and retire rich, learning how to insure your assets against loss is fundamental, and that means staying educated to insure your financial future. The Leverage of Building a B-Quadrant Business Being a Leader in the Richest Game 
The richest self-made people in the world are entrepreneurs from the B quadrant. They are far richer than the movie stars, sports stars, and highly paid professionals. Rich Dad said, The reason the richest people in the world are from the B quadrant is because it is the hardest quadrant to be successful in. But if you are successful, the floodgates of abundance open up and wealth showers down upon you. If you can build a B quadrant business, you are playing in the richest game in the world. When you look back upon recent history, it's people like Bill Gates, Michael Dell, Thomas Edison, Henry J. Ford, Ted Turner, John D. Rockefeller, and others who are at the top of the famous B-quadrant list. In the print and audio version of Rich Dad's Guide to Investing, I talked about my decision to learn to become an entrepreneur. I wrote about the number of times I failed and what it took to stand back up. In my opinion, it is the context of being successful, regardless of which quadrant you are in. The reason I mention the guide to investing is because the second half of the book and audio is about building a business, the biggest and richest asset of all. If you would like to build a B-quadrant business, you may want to read that book or listen to that program. But why don't more people build B-quadrant businesses? Rich Dad's answer was short and to the point. He said, The hardest thing about business is working with people. Most people cannot build a business simply because they lack people skills. People work with people all day long. But just because they work together does not mean they can start a business together. And just because they start a business together does not mean that business will grow into a very large business. That's why I encourage you to learn and work with people from all four quadrants of the cash flow quadrant. This will allow you to build a team that grows and learns, and you will grow and learn along with it. But as Rich Dad notes, the better you can lead a team of smart, qualified people without having to work as part of the team, the better and bigger entrepreneur you can become. Rich Dad continued, I own several companies, but I do not do any of the work inside the company. That way I can make more money and do more things without having to do the work. That is why leadership is an essential skill required to be a true entrepreneur. If you want to build your leadership skills, all you have to do is take on the challenges that others run away from. Volunteer for tasks you can learn something from. Take on tasks that will bring out your leadership skills and build your business. Too many people never develop their leadership skills simply because they make it a habit to back away from challenge. Remember, it takes a leader to turn individuals into a team. In the final section of this program, I'd like to leave you with some things that most people can do to get rich quickly and stay rich forever. As I've discussed, the process of retiring young and retiring rich is a mental and emotional process more than a physical process. If you are prepared mentally and emotionally, what you physically have to do is very little. If you do these suggested simple processes regularly and they become part of your life, I trust that you will find retiring young and retiring rich will become more of a possibility for you. So here are some key tips that can change your thinking. Hot tip number one. Begin to see yourself in a world or reality where you will never ever need a paycheck or a job again. It does not mean you will never work again. It simply means that you will stop being so financially needy or even desperate, selling your precious life for a few dollars, living in fear of losing your paycheck or being destitute. Once you can entertain a world of never needing a paycheck again, you can begin to see the other world, the world without jobs or paychecks. Hot tip number two. If you let go of the idea of needing a steady paycheck from earned income, the next question to ask yourself is what kind of income do you want? Earned income, 50% money. Portfolio income, 20% money, or passive income, 0% money. These are the three main categories, yet there are many other types of income. If you are serious about retiring young, begin studying the different types of income, which will allow you to become rich without working forever. 
Some of the other types of income are 1. Residual income, which is income from a business, such as a network marketing business or a franchise business you own but someone else runs. 2. Dividend income, which can be income from stocks. 3. Interest income, which is income from savings or bonds. 4. Royalty income, which can be income from songs or books you have written and trademarks and inventions that you have created. 5. Financial instrument income, such as income from trust deeds from real estate. So the hot tip is, once you get used to the idea of not having income from a job or your labor, then you can begin researching different types of income, which come from different types of assets. Rich Dad had Mike and me study and research the different types of income and then decide which type we wanted to study. The moment you begin to study and find the different kinds of income that interest you, they begin to grow to become part of your new and expanding reality. The point is, don't do too much. Just let other types of income and assets come into your reality. The more the idea of different types of income settle in, the more you think about such income without the pressure of having to do anything, the more the idea takes root in your brain and begins to grow. I let the idea of investing in real estate for passive income rattle around in my brain for years before I bought my first property. One day I woke up and I knew it was time to begin taking classes and begin investing. It was relatively effortless, but only after I let the idea become a part of my new reality. Hot tip number three. This tip may sound strange. It is to tell lies about your future. Not everyone can see a bright future, yet it's an important part of the process in retiring young and retiring rich. A few months ago, I was teaching an investment course, and several of the participants could not stop saying such things as, I can't do that, I'll never be rich, I'm not a good investor, I'm not smart enough. A very successful psychotherapist in the class pointed out that anything said about the future is technically a lie, since it is not yet a fact. When a person says, I'll never be rich, he is making a statement about something that is supposedly true in the future. But that statement is technically a lie. Yet all lies do have the power to become truths. So why not tell lies about the kind of future you want, rather than the kind of future you do not want? Whenever you find yourself feeling down and telling negative lies about yourself and your financial future, find a trusted friend and ask them if you can tell them a big fat lie about how financially successful you will be in the near future. I think you will find it great therapy. And who knows? The lie you tell about your financial future might someday come true. In fact, if you are brave enough, don't wait till you feel down before you begin lying positively. As soon as possible, find a trusted friend or loved one and ask them permission to allow you to tell them your great big lies about how fantastic your financial future will someday be. The point is that your future is yet to be made. You may as well make it up today and make it up the way you want it to be, rather than what you're afraid it might not be. Twelve more tips for you. These are things I do on a regular basis. They have assisted me greatly in retiring young and retiring rich. I trust they can also be of use to you. Once you begin that journey in your mind and in your heart, the rest of you should soon follow. 1. Decide. Every day I get up and I choose who and what I want to be. I ask myself, do I want to live today as a person with a poor context, a middle-class context, or a rich context? Remember that a person with a poor context will say something like, I'll never be rich. A person with a middle-class context might say, job security is important. A person with a rich context might say, I need to increase my financial IQ so I can work less and make more money. 2. Find a friend or loved one who wants to go on the journey with you. I know that I would not have made it without my wife Kim and my friends like Larry Clark. 
Be sure to have friends who demand more of you rather than tell you why you cannot do what you want to do. 3. Seek competent advice and begin building your own team of financial and legal advisors. Again, choosing the right people is a very important skill. People can either be assets or liabilities. 4. Set a retirement date. Sit down with your loved ones, your advisors, and set a date for your early retirement. If you will actually do this process and discuss an actual date with these people, your present context will begin to argue with your future context. It is a great and fun process to go through. You will definitely hear many different realities and different contexts. Hold quarterly meetings with this group and continue to discuss your early retirement date. 5. Write down a plan on a piece of paper once you have set the date for your early retirement. Put that plan on your refrigerator so you have to look at it every day. Update the plan as you progress and learn more. 6. Plan your early retirement party. Be excessive and be lavish. Once you can retire early, money will no longer be a problem. Even if you do not achieve your goal, you'll have great fun going through this process. And who knows? You might even have to throw that early retirement party early. 7. Look at a deal a day. Remember, it costs you nothing to go shopping. The point is to do something for at least 10 minutes every day to improve your financial intelligence. It may be something as simple as reading one article from the money or business section of your newspaper, even if you are not interested in it. It will begin to improve your vocabulary. Listen to financial or business information tapes or CDs while you drive or work out at the gym. Attend a financial seminar at least once a year. If you do not want to pay for a seminar, just look in the financial section of your local newspaper and you will find many free investment seminars. Even if you do not learn anything, you are bound to meet other people just like you. 8. If you want to get rich quickly, one of the best ways is at the point where a trend changes. There is a lot of truth to that old saying, being at the right place at the right time. If you will look at deals daily, you will better sense changes and improve your chances of being at the right place at the right time. You must be aware of trends and have different strategies for different trends. 9. Go to our website regularly. It is our commitment to you to keep it refreshed and interesting. Think of our website as the place for people who are going to retire young and retire rich. 10. Always remember that words are free. If you want to get rich quickly, you need a rich vocabulary. Always remember that there are three basic classes of assets. They are businesses, paper assets, and real estate. Each of these assets uses different words. Once you learn the words, you will be better able to communicate to yourself and others in that asset class. Remember that a big difference between a rich person and a poor person is simply the quality of their words. Your financial education begins with your financial vocabulary. So watch your words, because words do become flesh and do become your future. If you want to get rich quickly and stay rich forever so you can retire young and retire rich, your words hold the key, and words are free. 11. Talk about money. If your friends don't want to talk about it, you may want to find a new group of friends. In my group of friends, we talk about money, business, investing, successes, and problems. Most of my friends are also very rich and do not have the context that talking about money is evil or dirty. My wife Kim and I talk about money constantly. We enjoy the game of money just as people enjoy other sports. And because we have money as a game in common, our marriage is closer, educational, exciting, and fun. Money is a subject all people all over the world have in common. So why not talk about it? 12. Make a million dollars starting with nothing. One of the reasons I do not need a job or paycheck is because Rich Dad trained me to make money from nothing. With your loved one or friends, 
Spend time together brainstorming on how you can take an idea and turn that idea into millions of dollars, starting with no money or very little money. This process is like going to the gym for your muscles. This regular exercise strengthens your brain and gets it ready for the moment you make your move. Before I met Kim, Larry and I would sit in a coffee shop that was on the ground floor of the office building where the Xerox office was located. We would spend hours over many cups of coffee, coming up with ideas on how to make millions of dollars out of nothing. We came up with some really good ideas, some bad ideas, and many, many stupid ideas. Even though most of the ideas did not work, we did come up with the nylon and Velcro surfer wallet idea and took that idea and turned it into millions of dollars. Unfortunately, we didn't take the steps to protect the idea and ended up losing it to competition. As an example, the capitalization of the Coca-Cola company is over $8 billion, but the value of the Coca-Cola brand is closer to $80 billion, almost 10 times the capitalization of the entire company. Coca-Cola has aggressively protected its intellectual property internationally, and as a result, the Coca-Cola brand has become incredibly valuable. When Kim and I met Sharon Lecter and we started Cashflow Technologies Incorporated in 1997, the words rich dad were just two meaningless words and worth nothing. Today, the words rich dad are worth tens of millions of dollars. How did that happen? We took the advice of Michael Lecter, Sharon's husband and our intellectual property attorney. We took the time to sit down with him and create a strategy to intentionally build intellectual property assets. With his guidance, we have carefully followed that strategy and created and protected our intellectual property. We made sure that we protected our inventions with patents. We have created and protected Rich Dad and Cash Flow brands and a strong trade dress, purple, black, and gold, that is recognizable all over the world. The initial trademark cost us less than $1,000 to file. Next year, when we launched the online version of the cash flow game, the value of the brands could reach billions of dollars. Our experience proves that you can make money with little to no money. For further information on how you can create money with little to no money, you can read Michael's book, Protecting Your Number One Asset, Creating Fortunes from Your Ideas, an Intellectual Property Handbook, published by Warner Books. Michael is an internationally recognized intellectual property attorney who has helped countless people create fortunes from their ideas. As he puts it, he builds forts and fights pirates to protect intellectual property. Michael often says, each one of us has had a million-dollar idea. Unfortunately, very few of us take the steps to protect that idea. And if you don't protect it, it won't be you that makes the million dollars from that idea. In conclusion, you and I know that your brain is still your most underused asset. It has plenty of horsepower yet to be used. Rich Dad used to say, lazy people want to get rich quickly and successful people want to get financially smart quickly and keep getting smarter. The point is, if you want to retire young and retire rich, and you don't have much money, education, or experience, you do need to begin using your brain. In my reality, it does not take money to become rich. In my reality, it does take mental and emotional power. Remember, Rich Dad said, the first step is to decide what kind of world you want to live in. The moment you truly decide that, then everything in your world will change. And once that happens, you'll be on the path to retire young and retire rich. This has been a Time Warner Audiobooks production of Rich Dads Retire Young, Retire Rich. How to Get Rich Quickly and Stay Rich Forever. Written by Robert T. Kiyosaki with Sharon L. Lecter, CPA, and read by Jim Ward. Executive Producer, Maya Thomas. 
produced and directed by Arthur G. Insana. Text abridged by Harriet Greenberg. Text edited by William Whittington. Production coordinated by Dennis Kao. Rich Dads Retire Young, Retire Rich. How to Get Rich Quickly and Stay Rich Forever is also available in paperback from Warner Business Books. Thank you.